All right. Welcome back to Off the Cuff, episode 22. I'm joined by a man of many credits. Um, he's a former Marine, staff sergeant. Uh, he is a libertarian. He is a guest speaker at Columbia, Yale, an entrepreneur. I could just keep going. You know, it's like when Tiger Woods gets on the tee and they have to read all the things that he's won. It could take 25, 30 minutes. Um, but I'm joined to be uh, excited to be joined by Mr. Larry Sharp today. How are you, sir? I'm happy to be here. But with that kind of intro, I better be special, <laughs> I guess, huh? So no, 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 you are. You are. Uh, I will you know, either be smart or funny, but I don't guarantee both. Hey, listen, you know, I'll take one. Trust me. Here we go. All good. Uh, um, you know, uh, Drew has spoken very highly of you, which I believe is a good thing. You yeah, know, all lies, but fine. Yeah, all lies, but fine. It's all right. We got to make it in this business somehow, right? Fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make I'm it. Um, so once I got um, introduced to your story and dug up some dirt on you, yep. um, I got very excited for this interview. So you've done many, many things already uh, in your accomplished career, but I actually want to start before your career even got started. Sure. Uh, you are from the Bronx. I am just like you, brother. Absolutely. Where, where are you from in the Bronx? I was actually born in Manhattan. You were born in Manhattan. I was born in Manhattan. I was adopted. And my family took me first to uh, Upper Manhattan, Harlem, okay. and then up into the South Bronx. I'm actually outside the Yankee Stadium. Big Yankee fan. Uh, I, grew as up I. In this, I grew up in the 70s um, outside the Yankee Stadium. I mean, like I knew I was there. For those of you, this is some inside baseball, who remember when Thurman Munson died. Like yes. that's, that's like the time frame that I was, you know, Chris Chambliss and Bucky Dent and all those guys. And if you're not a Yankee fan, you don't know what I'm talking about. Right. If you're a Yankee fan, you get, that's, that's the days of when uh, I was a big Yankee fan. So I remember being a kid in the Bronx, very young. And you think about how our children are raised today. I was probably five, six. I was walking home from school in, in, a, in South Bronx in the seventies. This was not a great time period. You know, the movie, Serpico in the book Serpico from the 70s was from my neighborhood. They actually shot it in a park across the street from my apartment building. And this is where it, I grew up. It's wild. Uh, for those that haven't seen Serpico and consider yourself a film buff, you're doing yourself a disservice. Absolutely. It is a yes. fantastic film with Mr. Al Pacino. Yeah. Uh, it's fantastic film. Uh, my mother grew up uh, in East Tremont. I was born in Einstein Hospital in the Bronx. Oh, sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I was right around the way. Um, also, Thurman Munson was the last Yankee captain before Derek Jeter, who tragically passed away in a uh, in a plane accident. Yeah, that's right. Yep. I don't like to use the term plane crash. It's so like, you know, it's too much. Okay. It was just a plane accident. We'll in a, call it. In a, in a plane event. In a plane event. <laughs> there we uh, go. See? Even nicer. Okay. Um, obviously, race in the 70s wasn't something that uh, people were too keen on, especially when mixing races. Um, that's something people don't realize, you know, in New York state, I was so lucky because I'm biracial. Yes. My father was black and my mother was, was, uh, an immigrant and her family actually came, um, via Germany to England and then to America. It's my birth mother that I know of my birth. Right. So, um, when I was born in New York state, you think New York state, I'm born in the sixties, right? So I was born in the sixties, New York state. You couldn't get adopted unless you had biracial family there were racial rules on adopting really yes yeah in new york state right you think the most liberal state in the world yes wow. so i was lucky i i could only be adopted by a biracial or a black family i couldn't be adopted by a white family 
see my 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 youngest sister is adopted um mm-hmm. i had no idea that there were racial uh, constraints Ooh. on yes. being adopted in new york state like listen i don't want to throw anybody under the bus but like you think that's more of a southern state thing maybe yeah. in the 60s you know uh you know so that's why i tell that story it blows people's minds like no way you weren't yes. born in, like mississippi yeah. I'm like, no i was born in new york i was born in manhattan same yeah. hospital yep so being biracial i'm biracial too you know my my mother is hispanic my father's italian you know both of their parents were immigrants they came mm-hmm. to this country uh the italians had to come through canada and uh, my mom's parents were able to come but uh my uh father his parents were definitely a little more uh strict when it came to the race thing so when my father married an hispanic woman there was a lot of internal uh friction oh sure when you were adopted was there any internal friction between your family and other That's members of your family adopted my my birth mother wrote in documents new york state's been very bad when it comes to adoption they will not allow any papers to go in fact i was lied to i didn't find out i was adopted until i was 30 wow yes my parents lied to me my entire life they never told me I was adopted. My father, and this is the weird part. When when I was uh, born, my birth mother and my birth father, my birth father bailed when when I when when my birth mother was pregnant, and my birth mother couldn't keep me because her parents wouldn't accept the biracial baby. Wow. So that's why I was adopted. So racial tension, yes. Yes. That was the reason why I was adopted. <laughs> so and my adopted mother came from Germany. She met my uh my adopted father in germany when he was in the army over there oh okay and she grew up right after world war ii and dirt poor if anyone you know came out of europe after world war ii they know that it was a horrible place to be in after the, the war everything was bombed out starving all kind of problems there the americans were, were seen in a way as almost saviors and my mother wanted to get out of her family she had a horrible family bad situation her father and, and her oldest brother fought in world war ii in russia and all kind of bad things were happening there so she wanted to get out. So she thought, I'll marry this guy. And she married a black guy. And you can imagine how that went over in Germany right after World War II. That didn't go over well. No, so, probably yeah. not. So she packed up and left. And she took off and never looked back. And wow. I have some family in Germany, but where we don't really know each other because you know that part of the family just ignored our part of the family. So yeah, t- tension happened yeah. at that point too. Then... My mother wow. then, um, and my, my adopted father and my mother got divorced. Um, so that was the second father I lost in my life. Then she married. What eight, how old are you? Two. You were two. Two, yeah. So that I never saw him again. So he bailed. So then the, the man who I call my father, the man who raised me, um, he was also a veteran. My, my birth father was Navy. My adopted father was Army. And my actual father was Air Force. And then I became Marine. So I got all four. So yeah, you had to get all, all branches in there. I got them all. So um, my, my, my father, who taught me how to be a man, he died when I was 11. He died of cancer. So I lost all three of them. So as that started to happen, I had racial issues again. Because my mother, who her family was in Germany, she had no family here. Yeah. And when he died, they abandoned us. Because financially, just everything everything she was all by herself alone she was a 35 year old immigrant um widow with me how did you guys make ends meet we struggled she had two or three jobs i basically raised myself and i hated my 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 life as a teenager i didn't like it at all so i left i was i'll tell you a story how i was in the marine corps 
I wasn't going to join the Marine Corps. I was going to join the Army. And the reason why I was going to join the Army is because I believed my birth father was in the Army. He was my adopted father. But right. I didn't know that, so I assumed that was my father. So um, I was going to join the Army like him. So I go to the uh, recruiting statement, the recruiting station. There's all four branches there. So I walk past the Air Force and the Navy, go right to the Army, and I talk to the guy, and I say, hey, um, I'm ready to join, you know, my, like my father and be a soldier, right? He's like, great. I'm 17 at the time, 17. Oof. And he says, of course, oh my God, young man, of course, we're gonna, we're gonna make you a general in three weeks. You're gonna be running the army, you're gonna be meeting beautiful women and you're gonna get a PhD, it's gonna be for free and gave me everything. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So I walk outside, I've got the, I've got the book cover and the bumper sticker to go army and I'm excited and I walk outside and oh yeah, I'm gonna be a soldier. And the Marine Corps recruiters standing there waiting for me, literally waiting for me, arms folded. He says, hey son, you got a minute? I said, sure. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a know-it-all teenager. Yeah, you can't yeah. get me, Marine. Right? That's what I think. You have all your army paraphernalia already. Right in my hands. Yeah. So I walk in with it, and he's like, that army guy, he uh, promised you a lot, huh? I said, yeah, I'm going to be a general in like a month, going to be meeting beautiful women. It's going to be great. And he says, you know what we call that? I said, what? He said, we call that the solar plan. Everything under the sun. Mm. He goes, you know what I'm going to offer you? I said, what? He said, four hard years. Are you ready? And I went, yes. <laughs> and I threw my stuff in the garbage right there and signed up at 17. Wow. And when did, I look back at why I did that, right then I didn't know. Did your, looked, did your mom know that you were going to sign up? Oh, yes, absolutely. Was she like, no, 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 no? She was like, don't you dare do it. But then she yeah. realized, she told me to my face, she says, if I don't let you now, you'll just do it anyway. Mm. That's what she said. She knew that she couldn't stop me. And I look back now and I realize that I was desperately looking for positive male role models. Yes. I didn't know it then, right? I didn't know, I didn't recognize it then. Right. But I look back now and I'm like, oh my God, that guy read me like a book. And he was like, I mean, he called me son. I still remember that him yeah. calling me. And that was 35 years ago. And I still remember him calling me son and the impact that that had on a 17 year old kid trying to figure out what to do with his life. Pretty broke, pretty broken kid, kind of at that point. Yes, absolutely. And I was just, yeah. and I loved the Marine Corps. Right. I jumped in with both feet. I loved it like there was no tomorrow, and it was, it was the positive male role models that I wanted in my life, and it was perfect for me. I don't think everybody should join the military. I'm happy that it's voluntary. Right. I'm not a guy who thinks the draft is the right answer, but oh my God, was it right for me? It was That's completely the right answer for me. Yeah. And you want to, you want to hear my Marine story? Tell me. All right, so uh, I'm 19 years old. Uh, I went to community college for a year, two years. And then I was like, you know what? A friend of mine just joined the Coast Guard, right? Mm -hmm. So in my head, I'm like, yeah, you know, Coast Guard's cool. But like, in my head, I'm 18, 19. I'm, you know, I'm strong. I'm in a point where, oh, uh, you know, a Coast Guard in my head, I'm like, oh, that's like the soft one. Yeah, right? I'm gonna be hardcore. I'm going to be hardcore. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go sign up for the Marines. Didn't tell my parents. Um, I called my dad and I said, I'm going to sign up for the Marines. He goes, did you sign anything yet? I said, no. He goes, where are you? This was a 20 minute drive from our house. I swear he was there in three minutes. <laughs> you know, this is at the height of the Iraq war. Yep. And my father completely dressed me down in front of all these people. So I was very close to signing up. If I don't know how my father got there in three minutes, but he goes, if you join and you don't get killed over there, as soon as you come back, I'm going to kill you. 
<laughs> so I was like, Dad, all right, all right, I'll do something else. Uh, but yes, I was a Marine for 42 seconds. There we go. Okay. I don't, and I'm proud of every second of that service, you know? There we go. I love it. A question I don't want to ask you also, are you familiar with these Stolen Valor videos on YouTube? Yeah, absolutely. What are your thoughts on Stolen Valor? That's a broad question. Yes. Um, to be forward, I don't care. See, I don't. Most of I my don't friends, care. most of my friends who have done service, yep. they don't care either. Yes, I don't care. So where do you think this idea of like having to film somebody doing it and putting it up on the internet, is it a good representation, a poor representation, or is it just like kind I'm of like tell you something that a lot of vets won't tell you? We actually don't like the attention. That's what my friends have said. Yes, we don't like the attention. Because it makes them like, kind of look bad. Too. Like, why are we? Why is this guy going after this homeless dude? Yeah, leave, it, it's it's. We don't like the attention at all. Yeah, it's a problem that veterans have and have had for decades, but more now than ever. We don't like the attention. It's why so many vets don't tell people they're veterans. Yeah, because we don't like the attention. The being a veteran makes the other person feel good, right? When yes. someone says thank you for your service, they feel good. We don't. That's they true. Feel good. Yeah. Right. This this is what it's about. Veterans. And the problem is we realize that we're often symbols and tokens. We often are. Right. Stand for your veteran community. Yeah. But my brother just literally and I mean, brother, my veteran brother, literally right. just put a shotgun in his mouth last night and blew his brains out. You standing for me doesn't mean shit. Yeah. You know, how about you help him out instead? Get him a job. Don't stand for me. Get him a job. I'd rather you do that. Help with his education. How about that? Do that. Make sure that the lines aren't busy when he calls in. Because he, because he literally has a firearm in his mouth, and he's calling the suicide prevention line. How about instead you have that line work? Yeah. Don't stand for me. Yeah. Don't put your yellow ribbon on the back of your car. I'm not impressed. When 22 of us are committing suicide every single day, and the numbers are going up, and the actual suicide hotline for veterans is up 1,000 percent. Especially during quarantine, right? That's the thing. During COVID and all of this, 1,000 percent. Over 50 percent of all veterans lose their first job within the first year. Wow. Over the percent. They can't do it. They fail constantly. And these it, are, and these are, are, are veterans who don't stay within the cycle uh, of the military, right? Or even ones that do join, like work after the military, whether it's in the boot camps and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, the reality of it is many veterans who will do fairly well tend to join other brotherhoods or sisterhoods. Okay. Right, that's a common thing, right? They'll leave the um, they'll leave the Marine Corps, or the Army, or something, and they'll join. You know, uh, they become a corrections officer, which is another brotherhood, right? Or they become, right. you know, a, join a sheriff's department, right? That's a common thing, but not always. Many times, people who are veterans, particularly when they go in when they're younger, they assume the job they're supposed to do is the job the military gave them. Hmm. So you join the Army, and they make you a truck driver because they need truck drivers. So you assume I should be a truck driver. That's a terrible idea. Now that truck drivers are bad. Truck drivers are wonderful. I was one for a while. I'm not against them. But you should be a truck driver because you want to be a truck driver, not because you think that's your only option because the Army taught you that. And very often you find veterans simply fall back into that same world. Mm. And then when they can't, here's the other part. When you give us attention and we can't live up to it, then we can't ask for help. Yeah. Because we can't live up to what you've, you've put us on a pedestal and we're just human beings. I can't have problems because I was this tough, you know, Marine guy and, yes. I've seen, and I'm, I'm functioning, you know, like they think that you're functioning at a high level at all times. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so how can I now ask for help? 
one of the things I do often is I do have veterans on my show, The Sharp Way, which I'm pumping clearly right now. I was uh, going to, so we, yes, we were going to get into that. I literally do that night. We'll sometimes have veterans on. We talk about things like suicide. We talk about things like suicidal ideation. We talk about the problems that veterans deal with. I, d- I deal with it all the time because it is an issue. And not that I'm against someone putting a yellow ribbon on their car right. or saying, you know, uh, thanks for your service. I'm not against that. I mean, feel, go ahead. It's just not enough is what I'm yeah. saying. And please don't pat yourself in the back because you put a yellow ribbon on and say thank you for your service. There yes. are other things you can do if you care. Now, if you don't care, no worries. You don't have to care. It's not required that you care. You right. cannot. But if you don't care, then just don't care and live your life. We're actually okay with that. Okay. We don't need the extra, you know, pat attention. The back. It's not required. Yeah. When so, I have so many questions. So, uh, entry into the Marines, right? Yep. You get recruited. What year was this that you got recruited? 85. 85. Can you tell me what the race relations were like between, you know, the military and actually having uh, Marines of color? Has, hopefully, it has. Has it changed? Yeah, that's, what you'll find is, as a general rule, the more elite the force is, the more white it is. Mm. That's a general rule. It's not a 100% rule, but it's a right. general rule that usually is true. The more elite, the more white. And the example is the Marine Corps is the most elite, it's the most white. That's how it tends to be, as a general rule. And if you go to recon, snipers, rangers, all those issues, the more elite you get, the more white you get, as a general rule. Now, that's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. It's just a thing. Right. The Bitch. glory or advantage of the military is for many people, it's the first time they deal with people who are the other, whoever the other is. Right. Many of us spend our time in our own world. Like I had never dealt with people from the deep South. Told General Marine Corps. Yeah. All of a sudden I'm 17 and my bunk mate literally doesn't wear shoes on a daily basis. Like that was a thing. <laughs> Seriously. That's the guy that I was bunked with. Like, they had to show him how to put socks and shoes on. The guy didn't wear shoes, hardly ever. Like he walked around barefoot where he was from. That's what he did. So that, yes, that's the kind of thing. Or people who you know, don't wear underwear, just wear, put on overalls. And that's their clothes for the day. Not a shirt, yeah. not underwear. Their clothes is a pair of overalls. Right now, that's not as common today. We're talking the 80s, 30 years ago. So right. it's, it's more common then. But we, I met people like that, that I just didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't know. So that was an amazing thing. And what we find and what I say all the time is people are not naturally racist. That's simply not true. We are naturally tribal. That's absolutely true. I agree. Create tribes based upon anything. Mm -hmm. We create tribes based upon music, tribes based upon where we live, tribes based upon baseball teams, tribes based upon our cities. Doesn't really matter. In the case of the military, we often build tribes based upon our units or our Marine Corps or whatever the case may be. So what the Marine Corps or any unit does is it actually does bring people together. Mm. And I think one of the best um, way that was pictured was in a 19, is it 80, 86, maybe uh, full metal jacket, the movie, Stanley yes. Kubrick movie. Yes. And if you remember, there are Marines in that movie. And yes. at one point, there's a guy from, two guys from like the South and they're blatantly racist against each other. They call each, uh, the, the white guy calls him N-word. The, the black guy calls the guy cracker. I mean, they literally are racist towards each other, but in combat, they will die for each other. Right. Literally die for each other. Also in that film, also in that film too, they do exactly in that scenario in the film. It's almost like this is how we talk back home, sadly. But here we're brothers. We're brothers regardless. I know back home, maybe we couldn't do this, 
but here is kind of a different thing. But I think the military does change that too. What I mean by that is I remember I had a, a gentleman who was in my platoon. This is probably 1989, I'm going to think, in that area. I was, I was assistant platoon sergeant then. And he was going back home. And he was a guy who was openly racist. Right. Openly. And that was a common thing. There were many people who were just openly racist. And I actually preferred that. Right? I mean, if you're a Nazi, please wear the armband so I know where you are. Right? Yeah. Like, I want you to wear the armband. Don't hide it. Please yeah, go the armband. Yeah. Okay. If you're going to go full, go full. Just let me know where you are so I can handle it. Right? Can I, if yeah. I know where the, if you're a clan member, wear the hood. Yeah. Like, I want to <laughs> know where you are. Okay, you over there? Okay, that's where you are. I got you. Right? I don't want, I don't want the hidden guy that all of a sudden I pop up. Oh my God, there's a Nazi. That's not what I want. Right? Yeah, I want right. to know where you are. What's going on? Right? So I actually prefer that. But anyway, I mean, of course, I don't want anyone to be a Nazi or a member, but right, right. <laughs> and if they're going to exist, let me know where they are, right? Right. Don't hide amongst uh, Absolutely. everybody else. Just be you. I'm yeah. totally fine with that. So anyway, I literally asked the guy, I said, hey, man, when you head back home, if you see, you know, a brother walk down your street, you're going to kick his ass, aren't you? He said, no, you know, Corporal Sharp, no, I talked to him first. What he said. I'm not joking. Hey, that's a start. Yes, that's progress. That's progress. Like, that's literally progress. That is racial progress. Yes, and that guy had no reason to lie. No, he's that's, like, I'm still, I'm still gonna kick his ass, but we'll I, have a conversation. First. I might not kick his ass <laughs> if he can talk his way out of it. I might not. So I'm gonna give him a shot and give him a chance to talk his way out of it before I whip his ass. And I'm like, wow, we're moving forward. Now a lot of people hear me say that would say, Larry, that's horrible. That's terrible. But it's not because there are racial tensions in our country. Yes. And we can pretend they're not and try to cancel them and put them away and hide them if we want to. That is an option. But in the long run, nothing gets solved. Right. When you call, when you call someone and yell at them and call them a racist, they don't become unracist. They they no. They become th reverse. They become deeper. Th yeah, they become bigger racists at that yes, point. Because exactly. now 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 they're they're defensive. Correct. Yes. So, you know, obviously in any argument, whoever yes. gets defensive first usually loses, but then a lot of their true colors come out when they get defensive. Well, there's another piece, right? There is there's no pun intended. There's a difference between a racism of scarcity or a racism of abundance. And racism mm. of abundance is, all right, those people I don't like, I guess they can do well. It's fine. They'll do well. I'll do well over here. Life is good. Just don't marry my daughter. Right. right. That's one level of racism, which is not a good level. But that's a livable level. Right. We can survive and eventually we'll begin to commingle and things will get better over time. Mm -hmm. But when there's a racism of scarcity, they're taking away our this. We're losing this. They're stealing that. That's a racism of scarcity. Mm. That will almost always end in pain. So I if I have a choice between racism of abundance, I'll take that as a stepping stone to better versus of scarcity, which is always going to put us on the way down, going in the opposite direction. And, you know, there was a, I think it was, was it Charles Blow? I'm not sure who said it. I'm, I'm going to get it wrong. But I think he said, um, if a guy wants to lynch me, that's his problem. If a guy has the power to lynch me, that's my problem. Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. 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 Yes. It's kind of, that's a bar. That's a bar yes. right there. MLK <laughs> said it in the 60s. MLK was like, the law doesn't protect you from hating me. It just protects you from killing me. Mm. So 
it's a difference, right? And there's a level we have to accept. We're trying in our culture now to end the hate. Okay, good. That takes time. Let's end violence first. Yes. How about that? Well, yeah, violence is pretty, and that that's, you know, whether it be white on white, white on black, brown on black, brown yep. on white, black on black. Right now know, we hear uh, against Asians. Yeah. We hear that now. Yes. How about let's stop the violence first and then we'll move towards the hate. Do you think as that. do you think as humans we are instinctively and naturally violent? No, not at all. I we, think we're very passive in terms absolutely. like a lot of times, like even with like so I have panic disorder, right? So I have an overactive fight or flight. Mm -hmm. You know, flight nine times out of ten is probably the way to go. <laughs> Yes, but it doesn't feel powerful. No, it does not. Right. It feels cowardly. It does. It feels helpless. Yes. And when people become helpless, they tend to react horribly. Yes. Right. The people, when people feel hopeless is when they are the most violent. Remember, when someone commits, and that means self-destructive also, when someone commits either an act of murder or suicide, it's what they're saying is, in their head, they decided this is the best course of action or the only course of action, mm. which means they're actually helpless. If that makes sense psychologically. No, no, it does. Right. It does. Psychologically, it means that. So we want to give people the hope and the ability to move up and, and, and be and be uh, and have help. The, the thing to remember here is I talk often in my politics, in my life, in my business about happiness. It's a common thing I talk about. People laugh at me about it. And I said, you know, our, our divorce papers from the UK literally said life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That's what our country was supposed to be about. We've forgotten that. That's just out of the way. Now it's about security, security, security. So make more laws and more rules because security or culture war, which we're, which both sides are fighting to absolutely no avail. But we should be about happiness. Why? Because happy people don't leave America. Happy people don't want to hurt people. Happy mm. people don't want to commit suicide. Happy people don't want to hurt others. Happiness is the key. How does someone become happiness? Be happy. There's three things you need to be happy. Only three. They're hard, but there's only three. You have to feel loved. You have to feel respected. And you have to have purpose. How do you obtain these things, though? Because yeah. earning earning respect is not as easy as people think. Yep. And, and, and accepting, being capable of feeling love is a yep. very tough thing to do. Absolutely. A yes. lot of other people are willing to love you. Yep. It's the reception that that's the thing that people don't see. It's not the giving out, it's the receiving of love. Absolutely. You are 100% correct. Which is extremely difficult for individuals. Yes. Why, why do you think that is? I didn't say it was easy. I just said <laughs> no, it's three things. Yes. I just said it's three things. I didn't say it was easy. It's not easy. If it was easy, we'd all be happy. Very true. No, it's Very not true. easy, but it's still true, right? If you can get those three, and the worst part is, if you have one, it's easier to find the others. If you have two, even easier to find one more. If you have all three, you're happy. But it's, happiness is always fleeting. It is a journey. It's the pursuit of happiness. You will lose happiness throughout your life, even if you get it. You'll lose it. You'll chase it again. But if you don't have any of them, you are literally hopeless. Mm. And you will do one of two things. You'll become self-destructive or you will hurt others. Generally speaking, you it, even when you hurt others, even that's self-destructive. Yes. Right. So generally speaking, you becomes because you feel like you're not worthy. It's becoming like an emotional criminal almost. Yes, absolutely. You, you, you know, you're it's not worthy. You're an accessory to these things. 
Absolutely. And, 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 that, and that's an issue that we deal with. But the first one, feeling loved. It doesn't have to be romantic love. It can no. be. Yeah. But that doesn't not require it. Can be family love, can be close friend love, but you've got to feel like someone cares about you, right? Which is one of the reasons why you hear me fight against government programs all the time. Government cannot love you. Individuals can. When someone is in trouble, whatever your trouble is, financial, mental, physical, whatever your problem is, medical, the first thing you need is not a program. The first thing you need is somebody who cares. A network. Somebody who cares. Yeah. That person can plug you into the right program or idea yep. or needs. They can plug you into what you actually need. But the first thing is someone who cares. Once that happens, you can begin to feel loved. But it's hard to feel loved when you don't feel respected. Yes. Because if you don't feel respected, you don't feel worthy of love. And therefore, you reject it. Even when someone is trying to love you desperately, you will just not accept it. Nope, I didn't say be loved. I said you have to feel loved. Mm. It doesn't matter if you actually are loved. It matters if you feel loved. And it's very hard to feel loved when you don't feel respected. Was was your relationship with your mother, uh, were you guys tight? My mother, my mother was very odd. As most children are with their mother. Most people, most kids are terrible behavior-wise with their mother compared to anyone else. They yeah, yeah I, was, I was pretty, I was pretty bad, yeah. And there's a reason for that, <laughs> logical reason. The mother's love is unconditional. Mm. So as you're a child, you're pushing your boundaries and you feel safest with your mom. So you yes. will push your boundaries with your mom to the absolute maximum because mom will always love you no matter what you do. Mm. So you do it. But you're not sure if uncle will. So you kind of give uncle a little bit of space because uncle might smack you. Yes. You're not sure about that. So you don't give uncle <laughs> the same, right? You don't give auntie the same because she might never come back around again. So you kind of iffy with auntie and uncle. You basically do whatever you want against your mom because she's going to love you no matter what. It's a common thing. Not everyone's that way, but the vast majority of people are that way. Right. I was that way too. All I wanted in my life was to be accepted by my father. I want, I was as I'll, I'll go back and tell you a story. If you, do you want to hear my little story? 100%. So when I was in elementary school, my father cared tremendously about education. Neither of my parents were educated. My mother didn't finish high school. My father only had a high school diploma. So they weren't very well educated at all. They thought education was everything, everything. That was key. I wanted to keep my father happy. I was a straight A student throughout all of my, my elementary school. Literally at the end of elementary school, when you win the awards for like math or science, I literally won every single award, every one of them. I literally, I still have the little medals I have to show my daughters. I won every single award in every single category. I swept all of them. Larry Sharp, Larry Sharp, Larry Sharp was bringing all of the hardware home. All of it. Point. I was all about keeping my dad happy. And my dad was already sick and dying. Mm. So that made it even harder for me. I was like, I'm gonna do this. No matter, there was nothing gonna stop me. Nothing. My father was already dying at cancer. And I was like, I'm gonna make him happy. I'm gonna make him proud. That's what he wants. I'm bringing home all of them, whatever it takes. Then he died. And I was like, I don't care anymore. I was a terrible, and I mean, terrible high school student. Yeah, me too. The only reason why I got out is because I went to my, I actually failed gym because I wasn't going to school. Yeah, so yeah. I, that, I've done that too. Uh, yes. My absences were so high. I'm still convinced that they got me out of the high school just to get me out of there. <laughs> yes. They just so, didn't want to see me anymore. So I had to go to my gym teacher and lie and convince him to give me a D. And he did. And that's how I got out of high school. 
And the only reason why I graduated high school, because my Marine Corps recruiter said, if you finish high school, you have a chance at having the job you want. Otherwise, I was going to drop out of high school into the Marine Corps at 17. I wasn't going to finish high school. I had no yeah. plan to finish high school. I did it only because the Marine Corps said finish it. That's how bad I was. So my mom wasn't important to me in that regard at all. And I know it sounds horrible, but it's telling you the truth. You asked and I told you. I've always loved my mom, but we weren't that close in that regard. In fact, she was working two, three jobs to make ends meet. Yeah. So, And sadly, she could not handle me leaving our distance and my father dying. So she became addicted to drugs. First legal, then eventually illegal. And she was a victim of a drug war. She was actually imprisoned and she was a convicted felon. Mm. It happened while I was in the Marine Corps. And when I got out of the Marine Corps, I came back to pull her out. And this goes back. We actually didn't talk for years at all while I was in the Marine Corps. And if you've had an addict in your life, I don't know if you ever have. Yeah, you, no. had, you had an addict in your life. The addict always picks the drug over you. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how that works. That's why they're an addict. And my mom picked her drug over me when I was a teenager and a young Marine. So my answer was, go do your drug then. If you love your drug, go ahead. And I went and lived my life. But when her life came crashing around her and she lost everything, and literally she was coming out of prison with two garbage bags and that was her entire life, I was the guy there to say, I'm here, ma. So I grabbed her, I took my savings from the Marine Corps and I got her an apartment in the car and I started getting her up and running and getting her life together. I gave the support structure she needed to get back in action. If you know anyone who's been an addict, the number one indicator of them getting back in action isn't the program they're in, it's a support structure they have. That's mm-hmm. the number one indicator. Yes. Now, some people will fail anyway, some people will make it anyway, but right. you want to make it work, it's support structure. So I gave her that support structure at 23, I think I was, 22, 23, something like that. I forgot how old I was in that area. And I gave her that support structure to try to get her up and running. You it's, know, almost moving. A, it's almost a support structure that you were looking for as a kid. 100%. Absolutely. And that, and that you had to, that you learned in the Marine Corps, I'm I sure. Did. I learned, I learned how to be a man in the Marine Corps. I learned how to be a man in the Marine Corps. There's no question. I was a know-it-all punk kid at 17. Yeah. That's who I was. I thought I, I had all the answers. I had all the questions. I got everything. I know it all. That's yep. who I thought I was. And I was nowhere near that. I was, I was, a, I was a punk. And I think I re- the Marine Corps, help, again, I said Marine Corps helped me tremendously. It really yes. made me understand how to be a man. So I came back and I was emotionally mature enough to handle that. So I did. And eventually, as I went, I went overseas again, I was a teacher, I came back and I found that my mom was still struggling. She was a convicted felon, so she would always lie on every job application and say she wasn't and hope they didn't do a background check. Back and when she, you could, back when you could get away with getting a job. That's correct. Yes. Right. You can't, yes. Do it, can't do it now, now. No. Yes. Correct. And at that point, when she got a job, she was a hostage. She couldn't talk back or say no to her boss. If she got fired, she couldn't pay her bills. There was no right. chance of another job. That's how I got into entrepreneurship. I didn't want my mother to be a hostage anymore. I got tired of my mom being a hostage. And I said, you know what? No, I'm not gonna, if, if you're the boss, no one can fire you. Mm-hmm. So we started a truck driving business. I mentioned truck driving, right? Yes. So we started a truck driving business. Um, me, my mom had remarried, my stepdad and her, my fourth father figure in my life, uh, <laughs> started this company and I made her 100% owner. I had no ownership in the company and he had no ownership in the company. Only her. She was a hundred percent owner. And I ran the company for it for two years and got it up and running. And I did that because I, I knew if my mom was the owner, nobody could fire her ever again. Mm. No more hostage for my mom. Done. That's how I became an entrepreneur. Otherwise, I was like being a teacher and stuff. I wasn't I was a sales rep. I was now, like selling beds or something. <laughs> I forgot what I was selling. I don't remember. So with that, did you feel like you owed your mom that? Did you feel like 
this is just know. the right is just the right thing to do. Yes. And that was it. Because a lot of I feel like a lot of kids do stuff for their parents later on in life because they feel like they owe their parents something. It's a terrible way of living your life. People do it all the time. All the time. And and people always say that. And I've had discussions with you know so many people about this exact topic. And don't do don't do stuff for your parents because you think you owe them something. You You're don't. never going to achieve that feeling. And You're you never, never going to feel owe, that. You don't owe your parents anything. They made you. You didn't ask. They made there. you. What are you What are you talking about? Yeah, you don't owe them. Do no. it because you love them. Yes. Not because you owe them. Yes. Do it because you love them. If you're doing it because you owe them, that's a worse reason for doing it. Do it because you love them. Are you trying to pay a debt? How yeah. terrible is that? <laughs> What are you gonna, okay, now I've paid you back. Go die in a corner? Yeah. Is that what you're going to do? We're what done now. And we're done. Get out. We're done. We're Is done. that how that works? No. Help your parents because you love your parents. I think people really have a hard time grasping and forgetting how long life really is. Everybody says life is short. I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. In, ter- in, in like uh, ideog- uh, ideology. So for me, it's like, listen, life is a long thing. And in and, and, and the span of life, you know, kids, if they're, you know, parents, they always say, you know, I just want you guys to bury me. From that era, everyone's so dramatic from like yeah. the 50s and 60s. It's like, you're supposed to bury me, you know? And I've seen my brother's, uh, my father's brother die. Mm-hmm. And I'm my the two times I've seen my dad actually scared was when he had his heart attack because mm-hmm. he felt m- mortal. And then when someone of his lineage, you know, his brother died of a heart attack so we had a very long conversation about life and he's like danny i've lived a long life and i'm only like 60 years old you know he's like you have to understand these feelings that you're having emotionally uh where you feel physically you need to understand that in the moment you have time to fix it but you have to understand that life is truly a marathon like you said earlier happiness is going to come and go in your life people are going to come and go in your life family if you are lucky and blessed enough will be the only the structure that is there yep you kind of had to do that backwards mm-hmm. now i'm sure your mom got some looks going around with you uh yes. i always i always ask my friends who are mixed race how do you feel when people say he's black he's a black man but then there's that person go, well, don't forget that he's white too. Yeah, no, with, without question, this is America, right? And we have the one drop rule. And the one drop rule means if you're not white, you're black. Yes. That's kind of how that works. So if you ever see, if, if you Google Larry Sharp, almost always any Wikipedia page with something like African-American business consultant. <laughs> right. Blah, 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 blah. Blacks, black libertarian or something, right? They'll often say that. And I don't mind at all, right? It For those of you who are mixed, right? I'm sure you had it too. Mm-hmm. When you're growing up, it, it's tough. It's not tough when you're an adult. It's tough growing up because you're trying to figure out who you are. Oh, yeah. And I've had issues in my life where, you know, I'm the blackest of all the black people. <laughs> and I'm I'm not black. I'm German. I'm the most German of all the Germans. Right? I mean, yeah, I've right. been all and I'm nothing. I'm above it all. I've been all those things in my life, but almost always as a teenager trying to find my place in life where most of my people was trying to put me in a box. It's very confusing. Trying to find a place for me. Like they didn't want to now, at least when you go into a, 
when you when you have to check a box, there's often a biracial or other or mixed yeah. or something there. When I was a kid, no, you were black or you were white. Mm-hmm. I had to check one of those boxes, and society told me I had to check a box. I feel better. My kids are biracial, and at least they get to check multiple boxes if they want to. But I didn't have that option, so I, I think it was tough as a teenager. But once I was an adult, I didn't care anymore. I I embraced both of my sides that that I had. I still do. Mm-hmm. Um, I still accept that I'm black. I completely embraced my my black side. Right. And even all the cultural things that are terrible about it. Right? People go, oh, you're a stereotype. You're a black guy. So you like rap. First off, white people like rap, too. But, more, more than black people sometimes. Yes, but I also like rap. So it's fine. Yes. And I also like German rap. So take that. Yes. So I like German rap, too. So it's I, I accept the stereotype parts and the non-stereotype parts. And I'm happy to accept who I am. I don't have any problem at all. And that's I, a great that's a great, though, way to look at it. Like you said, when you're a kid, it's so confusing. Yes. So I'm walking around with this super paisan last name lo priori yep but all these white kids in school are calling me a spit yeah so i'm like what the hell is going on yes you know and i'm just like wait a second i was like and people will see like my last name and they'll see a beard and they just be like lo priori you're italian i'm like yeah they were like oh i thought you were like middle eastern people are like so openly like like racist by accident yes. the, the amount of times i've been called egyptian Oh, oh, you look uh, Egyptian. Yes. In I'm fact, like, how about just, I look like Larry? How's that? When, when I was 23 and I getting out of the Marine Corps, my um, this CIA came recruiting me. And when I see, because I was perfect, I had, I had a college degree, I was in intelligence when I was in the Marine Corps. I was their perfect guy, right? So they recruit, they recruiting me, and they wanted me literally going to teach me Arabic and send me to Egypt because they thought I looked Egyptian. Yeah. So even the government thought I was Egyptian. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Um, being obviously overseas, how many tours did you do? I was overseas for about four years, three years here, four years there. Let's get into the, the PTSD. Um, do you, do you yourself suffer from PTSD during your time over there? Not at all. I'm very lucky. I was not a combat Marine. Um, I was in during the first Gulf war. So I'm a first Gulf war era veteran. But I'm not a actual combat veteran at all. Does it stop? The sad part is, or the funny part is, that's one of the reasons why I got out. True story. I wanted to go mm. desperately. I desperately. I was a Marine. I was young. I was trained. Of course, you want to go to combat, right? Most right. Marines want to go to combat. Not all, but most want to go to combat. It's what we train for. It's Great. What we do so. Another film. Uh, uh, have you seen Jarhead before? Sure. 100%. That's a, that's a great representation. They were like, dude, we've been waiting over here forever. All we want to do is green light this shot. Yes, absolutely. Yes. yes. That's what we want to do. We're trained for that. Right. So what yeah. we do. So I wanted to go and I was so excited. I was lucky that my, my, um, uh, debt, my debt sergeant, my detachment sergeant actually had a link, uh, uh, connection to our, to the guy called the monitor and the monitor in DC decides where everybody goes. He had an actual connection. So he actually had me call him up. I was like, ah, I'm so lucky. I get this. Most Marines don't get to call their monitor. I got that opportunity because of the connection he had. Okay. So I call a guy up. I'm like, he's a staff sergeant at the time. I said, staff sergeant, please, you got to help me out. Send me over to Saudi. 
right? We, everybody was, everyone at that time was being uh, in Saudi Arabia. They were uh, deploying in Saudi Arabia. I'm like, send me to Saudi, send me to Saudi, do it. Go, I'll go back to my own unit. I'll go to artillery. I'll go to infantry. You send me where I'll go. You just wanted Done. to go. Just wanted to go. Like, just wanted to get out of there. Yep. He was so like, where, where were you stationed before I was that? in Fort Belvoir as a platoon sergeant in a schools unit in Fort Belvoir, an army base. Okay. So what, what, what were like your, what, what was your day-to-day -day there? Uh, training and teaching and uh, not training, training and training my troops and being taught. So okay. I was in classes and I was teaching uh, my people. I was doing both. Yes. Okay. So you're basically in like a, a, a master's program. It's just, it's a school. Cont continuing I mean, education. Yeah. It was a school for intelligence, serving, map reading, things like that. That's what it was. Okay. It was an intelligence got school. It. Got it. Got it. And I was there. Plus I, I, had, I had two jobs. I, ha I was being trained myself. And I was the platoon sergeant for all the other Marines being trained. Okay, got it. Right, so I was both at the same time. So it's fine, it's what we do, right? It doesn't yeah. matter. So I'm like, let me go. So he was like, you are super motivated there, Sergeant. I'm like, I am, I was a Sergeant at the time. Mm -hmm. He's like, you're super motivated. I said, yeah, I'm so super motivated. He goes, you know what? You're so motivated. I'm gonna keep you in schools because you need to motivate the reservists who are sending over to Saudi. They were sending reservists to my school to train them. Let's put them over into Saudi. The reservists yeah, why didn't these want to guys go. get to go. They, but they didn't want to go. That was a crazy thing. <laughs> they had jobs. They were reservists. They didn't want to go. So yep. he's like, he's getting complaints because the guys don't and gals don't want to go. Uh, so they're like, oh, why don't we keep you there, Mr. Motivator? <laughs> you motivate them to want to go. I'm like, uh, 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 uh. so that I spent the war doing that. See, I, I've always said. You could be too good at your job sometimes. There we go. Yes. You so, know? Yes. I and the funny part is during that time I had to do so many crazy things because we were a Marine detachment that was uh on an army base. So we didn't we didn't have all of the facilities required. Right. So I needed practice rifles. We didn't have an armory. I mm. so I had to borrow them from the army. They didn't want to. So I had to literally threaten them. I had my Marines literally steal some guidons. True story. <laughs> and the Marines that I watched them, I had them go steal the flags of the of the local units. We stole the flags oh. and held them hostage. And stealing the flag of a unit is you lose your colors. Wow! So really, we stole their colors. Yes. Now, now I, I it, had to get. It, I had it, to get weapons. Is it? Is, so I, so I had to. So I, we had my, I had my boys steal, steal the colors, hide them. They went into our, into our barracks and trashed our barracks looking for them. So yep, they it, wanted the colors now, back. Now this and is we, and I was like, I don't know. This is are. just stuff that's handled internally, right? Correct. Oh, absolutely. Like, no, yes. no one's going to go. They took your colors. They can, they'll take care but of they'll it. be embarrassed. Yes. They can, but they'll be embarrassed. No, uh, so they won't. They're going to go up and go, we lost our colors. That commander's not doing that. No. He's not doing that. No, no way. way. He's like a fool. Oof. And my Marines were up, mouth shut. Nothing. Not Oof. a word. We got hammered. They went through our barracks. Didn't care. I was like, nope, sorry. Then all of a sudden, they're like, Hey, son, Sharp, you want rifles? I do. Oh, have you heard my request for rifles? Oh, my God. I love that you've heard the request for rifles and yeah. my desire to use the field so I can do PFTs for my troops and keep them in shape and do, and do squad drills. Oh, you heard my request all of a sudden. Great. I'm so happy to hear my request. Oh, by the way, we found your guidons. They're on the, they're on the, they're on the railroad tracks. Mm. And that's where we left and they found the guidons all quiet. I got my rifles. I got access to the field. Everybody goes back to work. Everybody gets happy. Everybody fun. gets happy. Um, like, happy. like you said, uh, PTSD and also uh, soldier suicides have gone up 1000%. Well, no, the calls to the 
phones right. have the, gone that the actual the calls, deaths have not gone up that high. The the deaths haven't gone up. They've gone up, but not like that. Okay. Okay. Yes. I just want to make what, sure that, what, that, that clarity. What, the, the issue what that we deal with. I'm sorry, what, what percentage has gone up? It's now it's it went from twenty two it went twenty two, twenty, twenty one. Now it's like twenty four. Mm. So it's still highs in the same area, it's like twenty four now. So the, the issue that we're dealing with here is that a lot of these guys, particularly those coming from combat, but it's not only combat, but it's heavily combat, is the feeling of being alone, mm. the feeling of being left out, the feeling of having no purpose. Right? I talked about the idea of feeling respected, feeling loved, and having purpose, being happy. Imagine if you would, you're a soldier, sailor, Marine, whatever the case may be, you're in Afghanistan, Iraq, or someplace else, you have a purpose and it's a clear purpose. Mm-hmm. You have value and it's clear value. You have obvious respect. You're literally wearing it on your collar. Yes. You are literally wearing your respect on your collar. Mm-hmm. You have respect. You know where you are in the hierarchy. It, you have all of that. Now you come back and you have people going, thank you for your service. You're amazing. Awesome. And when you go to get a job, they don't hire you because you don't have the experience. You don't know how to talk. I spent a lot of time in the past, nowhere near as much now, but Right after the, the Iraq, people started coming back from Iraq, uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, that era, I spent a lot of time trying to help out these veterans coming back. They don't know how to communicate, particularly when they join when they're 18, 19. So you spend four, five, six years in the Army or the Marines or whatever, and you come back, and now you're sitting in, in front of a 25-year-old HR person. And mm-hmm. they say, so tell me about yourself. And you say something like this. Well, the first firefight I was in, and when you start like that, that 25-year-old says, you don't belong here. Yeah. It doesn't and, matter what, you don't belong here. Or the reverse, they won't even say how good they are because there's a there's a, a, a modesty to veterans that people don't see, which is one of the reasons why we don't like the attention. There is a modesty that many of us have. We're just doing our job. So one of the workshops I go through is a workshop where I get people to come up with success stories they can tell on a job interview right? Which is a common thing, job interview, tell me a success story, right? That kind yes. of thing, right? And they struggle. So I have a workshop I do. And I still remember this is one guy who I fought with, I mean, like 20 minutes pulling teeth, sailor, former sailor. And he said, finally, after fighting, he goes, well, you know, I saved the guy's life once. And I'm like, what? That's an, what, what do you, what, that's an amazing story. Yes. And here's the worst part. You know what job he wanted to have? Security guard. If you're a hiring manager, hiring security guards, that's exactly the story that you want to hear. Literally, yeah. <laughs> not a better one. You couldn't have a better story for hiring a security guard. I'm highly trained in combat and I've saved a human life before. Yes. You're hired. You're hired. Done. <laughs> it. It's done. Yes. It's that's the it. perfect story for the job he wanted. And he, he, all his response was, is, I was just doing my job. Mm. I get that. But in the civilian world, that's a big deal. And a lot of times veterans don't understand. Another guy who was a Marine, Overwatch. For those who don't know what Overwatch is, Overwatch is when you are the ones who watch the convoy routes to ensure there's no ambush, that there's no IEDs that go off, things like that. It's called Overwatch. Usually snipers do it, but anyone could be assigned to it. I think this guy was a sniper, but I'm not sure. But he was on Overwatch. I think he had a six-month tour of Overwatch. In the course of six months, no one got hurt. Wow. 100%. They stopped every IED. They stopped every bomb, everything. 
No one. He was 100% on his route. Now, obviously, there are hundreds of routes. He was one route. Right. But his route, 100% on his Crushing route. it, though. Crushing it. How, yeah. You can't beat 100%. Yeah, yeah. That's can't. the number one, right? That's the 100%. It took me week, weeks of, we had several classes, six classes total with this group. Finally, like week five, he's like, well, yeah, you know, I was an Overwatch with 100%. I'm like, do you understand how civilians never get 100% in anything? Yeah. And for a hiring manager to hear 100%, they go, 100%. What kind of attention to detail do you have if in six months, no one gets hurt? Let me tell you something. I can barely go to the bathroom at 100% efficiency. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, I mean, you know, yes. so being able to do that, I can't even imagine. So do you think, that, do you th that is one of the reasons why they have PTSD, not just, we always think it's combat related. Right. It is, but it's often just culturally related. And it's also like, they're speaking an entirely different language too yes. for about four years. So just even like vernacular, like it, it's hard for them to understand where people are coming from. Cause one, they're used to being spoken to a certain way. Yep. And they're just this, they're speaking a different language. They basically have to learn civilian language again. Yes. I remember when I first got in the military, um, I had to really change everything I said. My And I got out in the 90s. My language was so misogynistic. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm shocked at the way I spoke. I was lucky in my second part of my Marine Corps tour. The first part of Marine Corps tour in the 80s um, was only males. I was on the ground side, no females anywhere. I mean, everything was misogynistic. Every, every other word was some horrible insult to women, like every other word was. And then when I, my second tour, I had female Marines in my units. When I was at schools, I had female Marines in my units. And then I was like, oh, I, and it wasn't that I thought it was bad. It's gonna sound terrible, but I'm just being forward with you. It didn't make sense. Mm. Like I was saying things that, oh, if women are here, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, what the like, hell's going I'm on? In, I'm insulting the men, calling them women when there's women right here. Mm. Oh, that doesn't work. And I know you would think, well, Larry, weren't you thinking how bad it was? To be forward, I wasn't. Like that wasn't where my head was. And it should have been, but it wasn't. My head was, oh, that I'm, what I'm saying is stupid. That's what I was coming out with. Oh, I, I can't say that because it's dumb. They're in my platoon. They're my Marine too. I can't do that because now right. I'm insulting them. That's stupid. So it wasn't that I was worried about the insult because we insulted each other all the time. Right. I mean, insulting each other is a normal way of Marine Corps. So yeah. the insult isn't what bothered me. I was happy to insult my Marines. They were insulting me too. The issue was it didn't make sense. And so I began to change my language. But when I got out, I realized people aren't Marines. They don't want to be talked to that way. Yeah. They don't want to be talked to that way. They don't want to interact that way. And it's off-putting. And of course now, duh. But then it's all I knew. I was 17 when I joined. I didn't know anything else. It's all I knew. I was in my own way brainwashed to think that's how everybody was. I remember as I was a, um, a leader. I was a chief instructor at a school. And one of my teachers called in and said, hey, Larry, I want to tell you that, you know, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling good. So my head was, oh, he's warning me that he's not going to be at his full when he shows up today. Mm. No, he was calling in sick. I didn't know what that meant. I had like, never, what is, what is that, that? that's not a thing in the Marine Corps. You don't call in sick. No. You're either, you're in formation, you're in the hospital, you're in jail, or you're in the morgue. That's it. That's the only four options you have. You're, not, you're, you're sick and you'll be in formation. Like it, it's not even imagined. So I had to change my whole way of, of speaking, of talking, 
And it took me some time to be much better at my communications, but you're right. It's, it's a challenge to do that. And I think a lot of people in the military feel the same way. When they come out, if it changed the way they speak, changed the way they interact with people. One of the good things though is when I began to become more of a sales trainer, when I was gonna start my, my next business, I was actually selling um, products. And when I was selling products, one of the vice presidents who was a VP of sales, he was a very aggressive speaker, very mm. aggressive. He was a, he came out of Saudi Arabia. He actually was, he was part of a coup attempt on the, uh, the royal family. And they said, you have two choices, leave Saudi Arabia, never come back and leave your family here. If you ever come back, we'll kill your family. So he left as he would, left his family. He had a daughter and a wife that he left. Wow. He came to America and became a hardcore sales um, guy. And he was vulgar and aggressive. But a savage. He was, but he was giving gold. Like he mm. was saying, this is not what sales about you effing pieces of shit. I mean, that's, yeah, what, yeah. Like, that's how he talked, right? What are you, stupid? I'll smack you, you fat bastard. He would speak like that, very aggressive and all the time. So most of the people hated him, but he was giving gold. That bounced off of me. That was my Marine Corps. Yeah. How they spoke to us in the Marine Corps like every day. It was like, okay, yeah. How do you like, feel about- how how do you I feel was actually able to get past that and learn what he was giving. Mm. And that helped me tremendously in growing because I was able to get past the language. How do you feel about David Goggins? I don't know who he is. You never seen, uh, he's like the Marine guy. Do, you ever see the guy running shirtless? and yelling at people i'll say i'll send i'll send you this uh he was a former marine that's kind of his marketing oh okay is to be like to speak that way yes um but i was i was wondering if you were familiar with people you look the reality is you have to speak in the language that people are going to hear Mm -hmm. right that's not the that and the example i'll give you is i was working for i forgot some some veteran organization like yellow ribbon funder or something it may not have been them but it was one of those types maybe it was wounded warriors and i was doing training for them i do it for free for veterans i charge my banking clients a lot so i can give veteran stuff for free so um so i'm doing that stuff for free and people won't show up to my class and the the first sergeant there is angry he is like these guys are gonna be divorced in six months they're gonna be killing themselves if we don't give them something he's mad 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 not coming to my class and so i go to the the civilian um nonprofit person and I tell her, I said, look, you have to let the, the sergeant order them to come. She said, no, we can't order them. That's not right, blah, blah, blah. I said, you don't understand. You don't understand. These are hardcore guys who just came out of Afghanistan. They don't want to accept they need help. They're not going to come. They're too damn proud. They're not going to do it. But if you order them, that's the excuse they need to show up. They will walk in and go, yeah, I wouldn't be here, but I got ordered, so I'll show up. Right. So you've got to understand the culture of who you're dealing with. In this case, you need to order them so they have an excuse to show up and be weak. The respect, the, their, their respect of the hierarchy is the reason they could be there. Correct. Okay. Yes. So she kept saying no. The first sergeant didn't care. He told the captain. The captain ordered them. Mm. They showed up and they're all like, yeah, you know, I'm here because I have to be <laughs> taking notes copiously and be like oh but that's <laughs> nice that's a good idea that's yeah, a nice exactly. philosophy yeah, yeah okay i'll listen whatever and they're taking everything yeah. down so yeah <laughs> is so there I, my is whole there... thing is you gotta you gotta speak to, to the audience that you're for fighting. sure for sure now obviously everybody hears about boot camp and stuff right yeah is there a boot camp on the way out in theory yes it's called seps 
and they take they change the name to something else it doesn't work mm. and and the problem is it's run guess by what the government doesn't work right mm. doesn't work one of the reasons why I don't work for the VA is the VA is backward, doesn't understand what it needs. The VA would give me a rubric of what to talk about and teach. And I said, none of this is relevant. Like mm. none of it is relevant. Well, no, you have to follow the rubric. No, no, I hear what you're saying and this rubric is shit. It means nothing. No, and I'm serious, this, I actually was on rubric. No one cares what type of paper the resume is on. That means nothing. Well, no one's handing in paper resumes anymore. No. That's done. You put, you actually have a fax number. No one's faxing anymore. No. Get rid of that. That's well, no, it's rubric. And I was like, I'm done. I'm not working for anymore. So I literally walked away. I don't work for the VA. So that backward. Do you think the government fails most of the time, some of the time, or part of the time when it comes to no, people that get the to show up part let's of the be, time? Let's be clear. Government right. isn't always bad. Government does help people. It does. I just think that if we're able to create a community-based answer, we will almost always do better. It doesn't mean we destroy the government answer, right? right. And the, the, the thing I'll bring up for veterans and it, it goes off of the, uh, goes to prisons also. Our prison system has failed us like there's no tomorrow. Oh, it's, yeah. not, it's not a justice system, it's a punishment system. Yes. So some people have done things that are better, which is in Massachusetts, they have a thing called, I got it right, the Humvee program. And it's basically almost like a halfway house where the corrections officers are still there in case there's violence, but it's, but it's really run by volunteer veterans who survived the system. Mm. And it's a boot camp style environment. And after X number of months, people go to go out early and they go out to work. It has been very successful. The recidivism rate for the average person in Massachusetts at the time that did this, I think was like 78%. That, that one is less than 5%. Mm. Really? So it's a massive change, massive change. Wow. Some wow. people still screw up and go back to jail. And that's going to happen no matter what, right? right? It's yeah, not, yeah. People aren't perfect. Mm -hmm. But from 70-some percent to less than 5%, huge change. That's wild. So yeah. that's a community-based answer that goes along with government that makes things better. And my whole piece of caring about this is people to remember something. Government is two things always. It is a monopoly and a jobs program. That's what government always is. And whenever a government goes into a community, when you add government, you by default remove community. That's how that works every time. And communities need help. People need help. That's true. I'm not saying remove the help from people. That's a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. I'm saying provide and encourage community answers to help people and you will almost always get better help. Because, uh, easy example is, you know, people, small businesses now, that have been having being forced to close their doors, they're yep. getting assistance from posting GoFundMe links. Yes, on on Twitter, uh, than they are getting support from the government. Yes, and it's not even close. The, yes, the, the financial help that small businesses have been getting. Um, you know, a lot of people say you know Barcelona Sports. It's a very you know, it's a very you know, it, you either feel one way about it or not. But yep. they're raising like hundreds of millions of dollars for small businesses. Absolutely. Yes. And that is crowdsourced, fan funded. Again and again and again, this is true. All of this stuff is because people want, people, community want to do it. Yes. And I know, I'm sure the government wants to help, but it's no, never going it, to. No, no. I don't the think they do. No, it's not true. What the government wants to do, remember, the government is just a bunch of people who are in power. 
Yes. What the government wants to do is make sure it stays in power. Mm-hmm. That's what it wants to do. The government is will help if it will keep them in power, or the government will crush you if it will keep them in power. The government is about staying in power. That's what it's about. It is the system for the system's sake. That's what government does always, right? I'll, I'll give you a good example. All right, I'll give you, I'll give you two that you might find interesting. Mm. There is a given agency that helps people, whatever that is, right? Me and you, we're part of this agency. You're my boss in this agency. So I go out and I say, hey boss, Danny, great, look at this. I helped 100 people this week. I serviced 100 people this week. You go, awesome, Larry, you're great. Next week, I serviced 150. Oh my God, you're amazing. Week after, <laughs> I served 200. Oh, Larry, you're the best in the world. Now we can get for more money. We can hire somebody else. We can make our agency bigger. Life is good. Awesome. The week after, I service 150. Whoa, 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 Larry. No, no, no. We got to service 200. We can't service 150. Well, there was only 100 people who came in who, mm-hmm. who qualified. Larry, how are you going to get a raise? How am I going to get a raise? How are we going to keep Bobby that we brought on? Come on now. So now people come in who don't really fit it. And I go, whatever, because I still want my 200. Right. I have just encouraged fraud. <laughs> it's what, what I've done. The system encourages fraud. Not just that. What if the people start actually getting better? Don't need me anymore. Yeah. I'm getting fired too. Uh-oh. I don't want them getting better. That's a terrible thing. I can't make a system that actually works. The goal of the government agency is to service, not to help. So there must be a problem so they can keep uh. servicing it. Now go to nonprofit instead. Now you have a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And I say, and, and when I say nonprofit, not funded by the government. Yes. Which means now I need donors to give me money. So now I want to go to donor and I say, hey, donor, can you give me some money? They go, sure. What do you do? We help people. Great. How? We service 100 people. Great. Who did you help? Well, we serviced 100 people. Great. Who did you help? Like, where's your success story? Oh, we don't have those. You don't have a success story. Well, no, we service people. I'm not giving you any money. If you ever go to any gala or show or fundraiser for any type of nonprofit that helps people, what's the first thing you see? Success stories. Yes. This is Bobby and how we helped Mrs. Janie and how we helped her. Boom, 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 boom. You are encouraging successes. And let's yes. say I solved the thing I was trying to solve. What does every nonprofit do? Shift one of the problem. Yes. So they do. Yeah. It's in their best interest to have successes because the people go, these guys are rocking it. They kill it. You see what they did when it came to this issue? Mm-hmm. They knocked it down like 35%. Oh my God. They're going to this issue? I'm in. So the systems are set up completely different to incentivize. I don't think that the government workers are a bad person at all. They're making money. Please make money. They're paying bills. <laughs> Please pay bills. Yes. I'm a big fan of paying bills. Yes. Please pay your bills. I think mean, it's awesome. I'm not mad at them. I'm saying the system doesn't work. The average person who, who gets a government job, why do they do it? It's a good job. Yeah, you're pro- why you, they feel, do it. you feel a sense of being protected yes. by, the, by the highest thing that you know. Absolutely. Being, being the it doesn't government. mean they're bad. It just means they, they went there to get a job. Of why course. does someone join a nonprofit? Because they believe. Mm. It's very true. It's, I mean, it is. As somebody like, listen, if I don't work, if I don't do what I have to do, I don't eat. I know you, the feeling, you know, so it's, it's a scare. It's a scary thing, but it's also like, even with a show like this about mental health, like we're helping people. Yep. And as soon as this show gets to wherever it has to go, we'll do something else. Yep. We'll move on to something else. Absolutely. And you know, this, the funniest thing is, is that you get all these people, right. That want to help these nonprofits or you, they want to raise money for small business and then big government. What do they do? Oh, wait, wait, wait. You got to give us some of that. Yes. Where's my cut? Where's my cut? 
I can't eat over I, I, here. Nothing yeah. can fall down here. <laughs> I can't. Literally the mafia. Nothing. It, can that's fall what down. it is. That's what it is. Oh, if you're gonna run a nonprofit in our neighborhood, we're gonna have to take a piece. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Where's my cut? Yeah. Exactly. You wouldn't. You wouldn't want. You know. God forbid. You know. <laughs> anything. A- anything happen to you with the IRS? You know. <laughs> exactly. We'll move the goalposts. Maybe, maybe all of a sudden you don't have the right licenses and my, my cops got to show up and that makes something happen. And then, exactly. the other, and then the other thing too is, you know, the small, small business is dying. If it's yep. not, if not dead already. Um, yes. If you look at these, th- especially in New York city, we're both New York city guys. Yep. You can't have people in the restaurant, but you can build a little house outside. Yes, absolutely. What, what is that? Let me give you what I said. And for those of you who care, you can help it to my Sharp Way YouTube page. And I literally gave 10 videos on a small playlist that says uh, COVID-19 response March 2020. I put this out in March of last year. And I spoke about the way you actually do this. And I talked about a community piece. It's been that long already. Which it's been crazy. that long. Yeah. It's about a month until two weeks to, to flatten the curve. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for a year. Yes. Um, but the, the, the point is, I spoke about the way to do it, which is literally, instead of government saying mask mandate, closed stores mandate, instead of that, instead, be honest and tell New Yorkers, and this was my plan if I was the governor to do this, I ran for governor in 2018, mm-hmm. if I would have been governor is what I would have done. I would have said, guys, we believe right now that masks will help. We're not 100% sure, but we believe it. So I'm gonna put on the New York State website, Here's what the CDC and the FDA believe is the right things to do for your retail store to be open, what you should be doing personally, here's what we should be doing. I, as the governor, have the ability to deal with state uh, workers. So all state workers, when they are client-facing, will wear a mask. That's a mandate that I can do, and I will do. If they are client-facing, they will wear a mask. Mm. I hope you'll wear a mask also. Step one, but I'm not done. Step two, I'm gonna say, here's all the guidelines for FDA, but here's also guidelines from other people who may disagree. Here are guidelines from a holistic world, from a doctor's world, of doctors who disagree, those people from the, that one contract who think it's all a bad idea. Here's what they believe is true. Mm-hmm. Here's all three. When you produce all three, you've lowered the chances for conspiracy theories. Yes. There will still be some no matter what, but when you only say my way's the right way, you are begging for conspiracy theories and you will get them and we got them. So and uproars, uproars too, you know, and- yes. You know, absolutely. So you have, you have people acting like Whole Foods is a, a some hill to die on. People yes. are screaming their heads off in Whole Foods. Like, dude, yes. I'm trying to get fucking butter and go home. Absolutely. You know? But the other issue is instead of me now sending off my my inspectors to now punish people who don't follow my rules, I do the opposite. I give them a government stamp if they do. That's mm-hmm. it. Government stamp if they do. Now the consumer and community goes by and goes, that store doesn't have a government stamp. Do I trust it or not? They don't trust it. They don't go in. And I even allow the other people to put their stamps on too. Now, if you put a false stamp on, that's fraud. That's a crime. I'm going to prosecute you. That's fraud. You cannot fraud the customer. The customer must know that you follow the rules or you haven't. Either one. And what winds up happening? Here's what would have happened within the first two months. Within the first two months. Oh my God, Bob and Jimmy, they both got COVID. So did Jane. Where were they? They were over at Danny's store. Ooh, that Danny guy, his store's bad. And guess what happens? Danny's store has to get better or Danny's store closed on its own. I don't have to close it. Yep. Within one month, the community decides who's right and who's wrong by default. I don't have to close anybody. The community would decide because they're the people who are being punished. They're feeling the actual peace. Not just that. You don't make a mask now political. 
If you remember New York City, we were already masking up before the mandate came down. Why? Yes. Because we have an East Asian community, a massive yes. East Asian community, and they were already masking up from SARS and 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 the swine flu. They were way ahead of the curve. Way ahead of the curve. I used so to always be on the train. Now. I always used to be on the train and say, "What? Why? What is? What? What do they know that I don't know?" Absolutely. So we were doing it, but yeah. then the mandate came, and when the mandate came, the mask came off, because mm-hmm. human nature. You can't tell me what to do. Human yeah. nature. That is the that is the off. biggest fault of the human being. Yep. Is that you can't tell me what to do. And but I suffer if, from it a lot. But then if you're a governor, you should know better. These this are your is, people. This is what I wanted to get into. As a libertarian, an outspoken one. I, I wear it on my sleeve, 100%. Yeah. One to 10, Governor Cuomo, what are you rating him during this entire thing? Minus 50. And all right, I mean, fine. Minus 48. All right. That's fine. not, that's not bad. Minus 48. This has been one of the 50, 60 years from now, you know, I'm, I, you know, let's say a hundred years from now, we're both gone a hundred years from now, people are going to look back on this and say, this was one of the most mishandled things yes. in American history. Yes. Um, and listen, I don't like to go after people on this show, but I live I in New- I, I, <laughs> I live in New York City. Yep, I do too. I see it every day. Yep. I see places who I know would have thrived because people in the neighborhood want to support these places. Yep. Are gone. Yep. Yes. And as a member of a community, non-government, I get to see these people lose their jobs. Yep lose their homes. Yep. And now I see New York City as it's a wasteland. New York City is never going to come back to what it was. It's going to come back, but not to what it was. I pray it does. I really do. It's impossible. Um, the, the, my day job is coaching, training, teaching, as I told you, as you mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier, most of my job now has become coaching because his majesty King Andrew, the Cuomo II, all hail the king, has deemed me not essential. He has deemed me not essential, so I, I'm not allowed to go work anymore except through coaching. So most of my work now, which was only about 20% of my business before, mm-hmm. now is like 90% of my business. Coaching is a huge chunk of what I do because it's all I can do. So most of the people who I coach are either well-off or some are wealthy. Many of them have multiple homes, one in Manhattan and many of them in finance, tech, law, one in Manhattan and one someplace else, Jersey Shore, Connecticut, Florida. During this long COVID, they've all left. Yeah. Why would they or- stay in Manhattan? So here's the worst part. They're not coming back. They have learned how to make money not being in New York City. Why would they pay the rents? Why would they pay everything at cost? Why would they pay the salaries when they can now get somebody the same job where they have to pay them six figures in New York City, they can pay them 40000 in Kansas. Yeah. Why do they do that? They're not coming back to the way they were. Now, here's the, the glory of New York that will re- remain. Culture yes. and tourism is still here and will stay. But finance going away. There's there's a chance the New York Stock Exchange may move to Dallas. Goldman Sachs is looking I heard at- I heard that. Is that is that is that true? Like it doesn't it- matter. It shouldn't even be on the table. Yeah, I know. That's the point. If it's not true now, maybe it's true five years from now, or ten- it shouldn't be on the table. No. You know, icon- it's iconic, the New York Stock Exchange. Correct. Goldman Sachs is moving to Miami. 
And the reason why? Because our governor is so insanely incompetent that he believes the right answer is to tax the rich. That's the only answer. Well, if you tax the rich, the rich move. That's how it works. You know, I was, I was talking to my father about this, who's very politically inclined, let's say that. Um, he's a Democrat. Um, Most New Yorkers are. Yeah, so, you know, and, you know, we grew up in a small town. We lived on a town called Main Street, okay? You know, I know what it's like to see people go out of business and it's, it's a mo- a part of you dies a part, yes. like, like you said, people are tribal. Yep. So we have these neighborhoods set up, you know, sadly, a lot of it's class systems that we yep. have to deal with, True. but you know, people work to get out of certain environments to live more comfortably. That's just, my parents did. That's how we got to Long Island, right? I yeah. went to high school in Long Island because my dad was a part-time DJ and my mom used to clean houses and clean buildings. Yeah. You know, you, you have to do it to, to get to certain places you want to get. So now it's like, I look at myself, I'm a 32-year-old entrepreneur. I grinded all my way to live in New York City. That's what it was for us, you know, growing up. Like, oh, dude, you grind and then you get to live in New York City. Nobody told me this shit is so goddamn expensive. <laughs> yes. You know? And now it's like, I don't get half of what the city offers. Yep. The gym in my building, it's supposed to be a 24-hour fitness center. It's not even open 24 hours. Yep. I can't even get the amenities where I'm paying to live. Yep. So think about it now. Now imagine that everywhere in New York City. Walking around. state. Yeah. Let, me, let, me, let me give you a, a couple yeah. stats which may blow your mind. Florida has more people than we have. Their budget is half. Our mm-hmm. budget's about $190 billion. Theirs is about $95 billion. Half. Literally half. Not just that, they have no state income tax. We have state income tax. Not just that, they had virtually no lockdown. They had a short-term lockdown, not a long lockdown at all. They have a higher population of elderly, both by percentage and by overall numbers. They have less deaths than we have in less cases with more people and more elderly. I lived there for a year and then I came back up here. You wish you went back down now. The only thing that I'm afraid of is like, even in the entertainment industry, right? You see comedians in LA, they're all moving to Austin, Texas. Yes. You think they're just moving there because, oh, they can't stand LA anymore. They want to keep their money. Yep. And I, and I get it. Well, they also can't stand LA either because yeah, LA is terrible. LA is super closed. Yes. You spend a lot of money in tax. You spend a lot of money in everything. The reason why I ran for governor, the reason why I ran is I was going to leave New York too. It was too expensive for me and my family. Yeah. So I was thinking, I, for what I do, I have to have a big city, right? That's for the consulting I do. There's got to be a big city, right? I, I have to be, but near some there's a lot of companies and such. Mm-hmm. So I thought Charlotte, North Carolina, it's a big city, it's in the South. Let me go check that out. So I go down there and I realize I can sell my house in Queens and buy a mansion, a mansion in North Carolina, live better, less taxes. I was like, what am I, what? Why am I here? And I got angry. And I said, why do I have to leave my state? Why do I have to move the city that I'm born in? Why do I have to lose my business, my partners, my friends, my roots? Why do I do that? Why does my state suck so bad? I'm going to do something. I'm going to run. Mm. And that did not work out as I had hoped. Listen. But I did it. But listen, you did it. And, you know, we're so caught up in the, you know, Democratic Republican system. I think as time goes on, you are going to see some of that fade away as some of the, um, traditionalist uh that era goes the way of 
the humans, you know, as well, not time, just go, as time goes on, people get older, they piece, go. Though. There's a more important piece here. And that is if you look at the left-right paradigm that we have right now in Democrat, Republican uh, politics, it's getting deeper. The rift is getting deeper. It's not banding right together. Yeah. The only way you ban this, and I, I bring this up with marriage counseling. I, I do some work with coaching. I also do some counseling. I'll deal with relationship issues and business issues and executives. And all. When I'm doing that kind of mediation, one of the first things I bring up is a third entity, right? So you and your significant other are mad at each other, real mad. We start talking. And I say, you know, Danny, can you do something for her? You can be like, no, because I'm mad at her. Okay, will you do something for Danny? No, I'm mad at him. Of course not, you're mad at each other. But if I then ask the question before I start this, I ask this question, mm. Danny, do you want to be in this relationship? Do you care about the relationship or not? And if you go, yeah, and I ask her, yeah, only if Danny does. No, 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 no. Do you care about the relationship or not? If she goes, yeah, I go, great. So Danny, will you do something for the relationship? You go, yeah. You'll do it for the third party, but you won't do it for her because you're mad at her right now. Yes. She'll do it for relationship. She'll do it for you because she's mad at you right now. Mm -hmm. So third party becomes the mediator. It becomes the thing that we can now work on. Right. Libertarian movement is actually that. And I have proof, not just talk, I have actual proof. And that is last year, death of George Floyd. The left yells defund the police. The right yells back the blue. Nothing changed. There was only one libertarian in all of Congress last year. There's a guy named Justin Amash out of Michigan. He was the only libertarian sent, uh, uh, congressman in the entire, the entire uh, Congress. And he said, you know what? Let's fix this. And he came up with the idea, why don't we start with ending qualified immunity? And he made a bill. And of course, he's the only guy, so he can't push it himself. Right. He has to get Democrats and Republicans to get on board. And he did. He made the first tripartisan bill ever. He bridged the gap. And of course, the Democrat Nancy Pelosi and the Republican Mitch McConnell both said, no, we don't want to hear it. Never got voted on. But the point is, he bridged the gap. If you're a Democrat now, you can't talk to Republicans. You lose your seat. You're a Republican now. You can't talk to Democrats. You lose your seat. You're Libertarian. You can talk to both. And the mm. other proof I have, 2018, the amount of votes I got, I got over 100,000 votes. There were only 7,000 registered Libertarians in the entire state, which means I got a whole bunch of Democrats, Republicans vote for me. Mm-hmm. So that means that if you look at the movement that we are, we are the only movement that says you don't have to convert. You can right. be as liberal as you want to be or as conservative as you want to be. Just don't force your view upon others. Do that and you can join us. Do that and people care. And that's the most important piece. Do you feel just in terms of obviously we live in a democratic state, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think that the world at America, when I say the world, the world we live in, is becoming more separated, or you think with you know who with more President Biden, question. nope, more, even more separated now. Hundred percent, not even close. Now, don't get me wrong, Biden. This this concept really started hard in '94 with Newt Gingrich. Mm -hmm. Actually, it really got hard. It actually began during the Vietnam War. Is when this separation began it was during Vietnam. But it came to a big head during the Gingrich time when he was like, contract with America, fight the left. That's when it became obvious. But even after that, every president was still talking about, I'm a president for everybody, we're one America. Even the first term of Obama, he was like, I'm a president for everybody. There's not two Americas, there's just one. But second term Obama, Obama was like, to hell with you guys, Republicans suck. So he went the new Gingrich way, the second term of Obama. And then Trump said, hold my beer. 
Let yeah. me tell you what division is. He jumped double down. Obama doubled down on Gingrich, and then Trump tripled down on Obama. They went boom, 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 right down the road. So we're even deeper. Now, to be forward, Biden is better at his talk. He's nicer than Trump. Trump mm-hmm. is far more of a, a firebrand than, than Biden is. Biden's a much nicer talker. But if you watched his, his conversations that he has, it's not uniting. It's nicer. That's true. But he's not uniting people. He's not actually doing it. He's, he's basically doing a bunch of, you know, a bunch of executive orders, the same that Trump did, the same that Obama did. And in four years from now, you guys think whoever is gone, whether it, you say the, the radical uh, Republicans are gone, wait till four years. They're yep. coming back full Absolutely. Force. Yes. We've done nothing to open the door for them. We've done no. nothing. To, we, we do this, as I said before, we're trying to get them to hide because we don't want to believe that we have people who don't believe like, you know, my side or your side, whatever the case may be. But people think differently. Yeah. And that's a good thing. We talk about diversity all the time. Then let's accept diversity of thought. People think differently and that's okay. But let's stop the violence. Let's have the conversation. And whenever you're dealing with, you know, there's been a lot of people talking about diversity training recently. It's a big thing, diversity, diversity, diversity mm-hmm. training. Sadly, most diversity training is insanely bad and actually hurts more than it helps. Most oh, is sh- terrible. It puts a lot of fear in people. Yes, it's terrible. But yeah. The, but the good diversity training, which is the one I do, and I'm totally going to pump myself on this one. Hey, listen, promo whatever you got, bad. dude. Yeah. And, and the, the good diversity training is not saying, you know, you should worry about a black person or a Hispanic person or this is what whiteness is or whiteness isn't. This isn't important. What's important is something very simple, understanding that when someone's not you, when they are the other, whatever that other is, whether that's gender or ethnic background or race or religion, whatever it is, when they're not you, that you need to do two things, try to understand them and respect them. Yes. That's it. If you just have that in your head, I have to try my best to understand the other in whatever way that other is and respect them, even if I disagree with them. Even I think they're wrong, that isn't the issue. I don't have to agree with them. Yeah. I don't have to think they're right. All I have to think of is, can I understand where they're coming from and respect them? That yeah. training is the right training. And a, and a lot of people that I've spoken to, you know, this is, you know, it, it's obviously the way black people have been treating treated in this country from the beginning. It's just obviously awful. But, sure. you know, but I talk to some of them and it's like, Danny, we don't want like this dramatic, you know, everyone to be like, you know, to, to worship us. We want what's ours. What we, what we feel is, is constitutionally our rights. We don't want you guys, we don't want you to cater to us all the time around the workplace, feel like this, but you, this is the position we've been put in. What we're fighting for here. We want to have what that constitution says that we were born with the right to do and have. It goes back to the veteran thing. I don't want the attention. No. I just want the pay. Yeah. And I want to be able to, and I want to be able to walk down the street and not to worry about someone beating the shit out of me. Absolutely. That's it. That's I I don't, you don't need to give me attention. Don't give me special attention. No, just just don't have a hundred thousand cops come into my neighborhood and kick in my door and shoot me. I would like that not to happen. Let's not do that. And we're going to be okay. It's, it's, it's so crazy how, I mean, it is and it isn't, but it's just so crazy how I always go back to this thing, how just the color of somebody's skin has made 
this, I don't want to say new age racist, but it's like, it's passed down, I feel like. Well, there's a couple of things to remember here. And for those of you who care, you head over to my Sharp Way YouTube page and check out my Juneteenth special. Last year, June 19th, I did about an hour or so on this, and I expressed how government created racism mm. from 1600s till today. Remember, the average person is not racist. It takes government to make you racist. You're tribal by default. You're not right. racist by default. Right. You're tribal right. by default. So it takes that to happen. And I talk about the idea of, of how you're right. It is has It has to be passed down. And I won't even take black or white. I'll go to Germany, 1920. Do you think the average young girl who's born, baby girl who's born in 1920, was like, wow, I hate Jewish people. Of course not. She was a yeah. baby. She had no idea what Jewish people were. She had to be taught over time through stories, through images, through TV, if she had TV back then, radio programs, books, stories that these Jewish people are bad people. So that now when all of a sudden it's 20 years later and they're locking Jews up in camps, she goes, whatevs, they probably deserved it. She wasn't born that way. No. Right? She wasn't born that way. And if she didn't have those stories, when they start to put Jews in the camps, she goes, what are you doing? Why are you putting my people in camps? She fights it. She goes, what are you doing? You can't put it, they're Germans. You can't put them in camps. What's wrong with you? But she doesn't fight it because over time, the story's told her. She's like, whatevs. That's what happens. And that's what happens with us. And I want you to imagine something. Imagine after uh, civil rights, we don't have a war on drugs. No mm -hmm. war on drugs. Doesn't exist. So there's no black people getting shot up um, um, in the streets. There's actually not much gangster rap. It's not a thing. We have more rap that's like MC Hammer, right? That becomes the rap of yeah. the 90s, right? right? It's not gangster rap. It's MC yeah. Hammer and I don't know, people like that, right? Young MC, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Who it is. Heavy, 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 heavy D, all those Heavy guys. D, that's, that's the rap that comes out, right? It's not really gangster. Imagine that. And yep. all America actually sees is not the black kid on cops getting arrested every night on cops. They don't see that. What they see instead is the Jeffersons, mm. right? What they see instead is, you know, um, I don't know. Mo moving on up. Yes, they, they see the Jeffersons. They they see Cosby before he was the rapist, right? Yeah. They see Family Matters, right? Yes. They see French Prince, Prince of Bel Air. They see all of that. That changes the story of who a black family is. Mm. It changes everything. That's the stories we should have been seeing no matter what. And with the war on drugs that made all of this, this violent bit of, of, of black people that actually helped tear the black family apart. Yes. Helped tear the black community apart because they were like, why can't you be like, you know, Will Smith, right? It's because yeah. you're a bad black person. That became the story that we began telling ourselves as a country. And the, like you said before, addicts, addicts, no matter what color you are, they're going to choose the drug and, and over, over their family at that point. Now we hear right now we hear oh this we have to legalize you know cannabis and addiction is a is is a medical issue and it's oh my god it's it's a terrible blight it's attacking our country it's it's an epidemic it was an epidemic in my communities in the 80s and what did we get we got just say no we got mandatory minimums we got three strikes and you're out we got the crime bill of 94 that put 100,000 cops into black uh, into black communities. We got civil asset forfeiture because the crime bill only paid for those cops for two years. Then there was no funding for it. How are you going to fund it? You're going to kick in doors and seize stuff. Yeah. That's what you're going to do. And you're going to hunt in black communities and brown communities and immigrant communities because they have cash. So you're going to take it from them. And that's how you're going to fund your war on drugs. 
Now you're going to start making things happen. That's that you're going to start using sting operations to make up crimes now. Yep. Even worse. Got to meet that quota. Got to meet the quota, right? You look at all the all the violence in Chicago. So much violence in Chicago. People say, yes. well, "Oh my God, these crazy, you know, crazy violent black people." No, it's the war on drugs. The FBI was so good at breaking up the gangs, it made it worse. Why? In most cities, you know this, you got one or two gangs, maybe three. Yeah. So two gangs, you got a border. The only time there's violence is when there's a border clash. Once in a while, there'll be a border clash. Otherwise, there isn't much violence. But there's some, but not much. Mm-hmm. But when all of a sudden the FBI comes in and breaks up all the gangs, now there's not two gangs. There's 300 gangs. Now there's yeah. 300 borders. Now there's 300 border clashes. Well, wars are all, I mean. The especially, drug- especially in Brooklyn. Especially in Brooklyn right all now. All over. During the pandemic. Yep. Uh, you know, they've had to create their own uh, umbrella. It's an umbrella, you know. Yes. Um, they can't go to other places because there's like mandates that they can't leave. So now they got to set up sub like operations. Now. That's correct. Yes. And, and criminals will criminal. They'll figure out ways to get better at what they're doing. Absolutely. Whether it's be- they are a work smarter, not harder. Prohibition. Industry. Has never worked. God couldn't do it in the, in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. You're telling me you can? Yeah. Prohibition doesn't work ever. We always find a way around it. The best defense against people committing violence is a system to where violence doesn't make sense. That's the best defense. Yeah. So and how do we know this? Look at alcohol, right? Alcohol is a drug. People are addicts of alcohol. Where is the violence? There isn't because it's legal. They can use cops. If someone steals your liquor, you call the cops, they arrest them, you get your liquor back, right? You can sue somebody. Someone steals my weed, I'm just, I guess I gotta break some kneecaps. What else am I gonna do? Someone steals my cocaine, I guess I gotta shoot somebody. I mean, that's how it works. I can't can't do anything else. Same thing like even on a different, like not even gambling. Yep. You know? Yeah. What's the what's the bookie gonna do? Is he gonna go to the cops and tell this guy owes me a thousand dollars? No, he's gonna knock. He's gonna knock your fucking teeth out. That's correct. Yes. You know. Yes. This it all perpetuates crime in yes. those situations. No government creates criminals. One hundred percent. Yes. One hundred percent. Yeah. We're the libertarian. Because I know that if you create the right systems where you give people the right opportunities, they will do the right thing. Will some screw up? Of course they will. There will always be problems, but we should be. We should be very harsh on our systems, but very generous and kind on our people. Yes. And be, like we said, it all ties into the the people will help you before the government will help you. Yes, That's just 100% true. Absolutely. Especially with the internet now, People will help you out of the kindness of their heart, whether they are Republican, Democrat, they see a story. I see some GoFundMes where their goal was $5,000. It gets into the right people's hands. These get people get $50,000. Absolutely. Because people, because people care. Yes. People care. Yes. And the, the thing that turned me off to politics, like obviously I vote and you know I'm a registered Democrat, but the thing that turns me off to politics are small things. Like mm-hmm. when I'm watching the president address address the nation, right? I go to Twitter and I'm like, holy shit, look where our country is. Because everyone's on Twitter. Everybody wants their voice to be heard, understandably, but it's just regurgitated nonsense diarrhea now. Yep. Everyone's just going at each other. And then, you know, one side stands up and claps, the other one sits down, 
that I'm like, oh, was this fucking high school? Yes, yes, it is. It's yes, like it's like who, who, like yes. who's the prettiest girl in class? Like yeah. this guy. Why is this side standing up and this one sitting down? Why do we do this? There are some fundamental norms that are ha- that that are still instilled in this country that need to go away, and that's one of those things. Wow. People people need to stop standing and sitting and this is it's obvious it's just that that it's just virtual signaling that's all it is you're saying i'm i'm on the right side i'm not going to do anything to make things better but i'm going to show you i'm on the right side and then it also shows that you don't respect whoever the president is when he's yours when you're in the government and you're supposed to set an example for people it's like oh yeah we don't stand and clap for that part because he's he's one of the bad ones Right. But even when Obama's like, I have no more um, elections to run. And then the guy was like, woo. I'm not sure that's good or bad. And then, and then Obama, <laughs> and then Obama, President Obama has to go, I know because I won both of them. So now we're like throwing shade and like, you know what I mean? Like we're having shady moments. Yes. In yes. the government. But the like point what? is he, he shouldn't be any different because he's running an election or not. Right. Right. Shouldn't he be the same guy? Yes. I mean, in theory, you should. I mean, I guess not, but I think you you want to be the same guy. But this is this is the this is the fundamental issue, though, is that people presidential elections have always been like the wave of what's going on in the world, right? So yeah, when when Barack ran, it was like the real, it was like the social media boom was coming. So his uh, campaign focused very much on YouTube videos, yep. so, emails. Atta- emails, yep attacking social media, speaking to the younger generations, right? Trump went to Twitter, went to Twitter, but also it was like the reality TV era. Yes. You know, where it was just like shock value. Yep. Grab, 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 eye grabbing. Like if you go on YouTube, it's like, should I cut my dick off today? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then like a guy in a thumbnail like this, it's the, it's the title. Like someone's going to click on it. Yeah. And then obviously this guy's not going to cut his dick off. Because YouTube doesn't allow it, but I, I just want to see what because, happens. And that's the sad part. Only because you doesn't allow it, if YouTube did, he might do it. I'm yes, just saying. Yes. He might. Yes. Yeah, he so might. Yes. The, the, the presidential elections have evolved with the times of technology from the beginning of time. Yes. Like even when Nixon versus Kennedy, right? People that said sure. they wa- people that said they watched it, fuck Kennedy won because Nixon was very sweaty. Yep. People that listened to it uh, thought Nixon won. Yep. So there, there is a visual to these things that are that, that help sway people. I've always been a let's hear both people out type of person. Um, you, you are in the minority. Yeah. And I, and I think that really stems from coming from mixed parents and understanding that a lot of this racism was taught to people who were racist. Like, I'm, a, I'm of Italian descent. When they first came here, what do you think they called them? Absolutely. You know, yeah. it's completely different. Italians weren't slaves in America, but the, right. the, the verbiage was but there. They still had to, look, Italian-Americans, Irish-Americans, Jewish-Americans all had their own things they had to get over. It wasn't like they came in and it was like given to them. They right. had to bust their rumps too to get, of course, most immigrants had trouble. So I don't take that away from any of the immigrants. They all had it hard. Well, not all. Some of the some of the British and the Germans didn't have that, that hard at all. The Norwegians didn't have that hard at all. 
Uh, but the Southern Europeans and the Irish did. They had it tough coming here. They did. And said, and then instead of them, you know, joining forces, they hated each other. Yes. You know, it's just one of those things. Like you said, it's tribal. Um, you know, awesome conversation. You're a busy guy. Um, the last question that I had for you, uh, actually, it's like a two-parter. Okay. One, will a libertarian ever be the governor of New York? Mm-hmm. What's the second be- question? And the second question is, how do we get our young people, you know, the 18 to 24, 18 to 25, to not, I don't want to say follow the traditions of Democrat and Republican, but what is the benefit? You, what, is the, what is the benefit of not I will, looking I will that answer way? both questions. The first one. If a libertarian isn't a governor of New York in the next eight, eight to 12 to 16 years, this state will be Democrat run forever for until in the foreseeable future, mm. because Republicans cannot win a statewide election in New York state. They just can't. It's almost three to one Democrats, Republicans. And as the divide goes deeper, Democrats simply will not vote for Republican period. They just won't do it. They will not do it. And Republicans won't, won't, won't vote for Democrats. They won't do it. But both will vote for a third party. I've proven that more than once. It will happen. It can happen. You can do it. So with that in mind, I think it's a libertarian or it's the same old thing. And in fact, most of you don't know in New York State, there's no term limits. So Cuomo can run for literally 20, 24, 28 years, 32 years if he wants to. He can do it because there's no term limits. So he can run forever in perpetuity if he wanted to until he drops dead. They can take him out of the, they can take him out of the, uh, the mansion in the box. Literally, that's how he could leave if they wanted to. That's how long he could he could run. And he runs this state like with an iron fist. So it will be a long time before he's gone, unless a third party steps in. The only party that has any juice in this state is the Libertarian Party. And that's not much, but at least mm. they have some. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I will decide if I'm going to run this summer. I'll announce with that MR I'm not going to run in the summer. Depends what happens in the state and how Republicans act, how Democrats act, right. that kind of stuff. I'll figure out then. Your second piece, how do we get the youngsters to care about a third party and to break it. It's through cool ideas, right? I was able to get on Joe Rogan, not because I'm super handsome. I mean, I am clearly super handsome. 100%. But that isn't the reason why I got on. Right. It, it helps helped. though, it helps. It does help. But the reason why I got on is because I had interesting ideas, right? Like regulating cannabis, like onions, right? Like uh, allowing cryptocurrency to grow in New York state. Like having a law in New York state that says, if you are going to sell only to local businesses, you are immune from all federal regulatory bodies, which now encourages the local business to grow before it has to compete against the mega corporations, yeah. allowing that to happen, allowing cannabis to be used as a cash crop for small farmers so they can grow to fight the big guys, that kind of stuff, right? Uh, saying that we should, instead of having tolls on our bridges, lease naming rights to our bridges. Instead of it being the Mario Cuomo Bridge or the George Washington Bridge, it's the 3M Bridge or the Kellogg's Bridge right. or the Horizon Bridge. And now that's how we pay for the MTA and then lower the tolls to zero so that the average New Yorker can get around New York City without paying an $18 toll. Taking the MTA at night and changing the nighttime routine of the MTA from passengers into very light passengers and instead freight. Allowing companies like Home Depot and FedEx and Amazon to bring their freight into New York City at night on the freight lines. What will happen? They'll have to rebuild all the lines, which means we get a new MTA absolutely free. And now we can lower the cost of the subway, which is what most poor and middle class people use to get around the city. 
We can give better services to our poor middle class, give them a shot to advance and grow without raising taxes, without using mandates. Those types of ideas are what gets people to go, oh my God, how do I know that? Still to this day, I'll go on around Queens somewhere and a car will drive by, someone sit their head out of the car, it will almost always be a 20 something male and he'll yell, New Shop, regular the Gungeons, so young Rogan. That will still happen <laughs> today. And that was three years ago. Yeah. That's how we make it happen by interesting ideas, interesting concepts, not yelling the other guy's evil, but having actual libertarian answers to people's problems. That's what people want. They don't actually want Democrat or Republican. What they want is answers to their problems. If we give them actual answers, they will come to us. And I also, you know, there needs to be a reestablishing of the middle class in America. Yes. You know, it's become way too cut and dry. It's yep. especially with the pandemic, you are either poor or you're thriving. Yep. And it's and it's sad that we were already building up to losing the middle class. The middle class is a very integral part of America. 100%. And uh, hopefully it we can be a able strong to reest- democracy. Yeah. And then one thing need, I you need a strong midsection. Um, yes, you need, a, you need a strong core. You need that core. 100%. You need that core. You need if that you, core. If you look at at the problems, we don't, we don't. We have a myth in the world that democracies very very rarely war on each other. Mm. That's a story we tell ourselves. But democracy is always good. It's not true. Bad democracies are terrible. Weak democracies are terrible. We don't want to become a weak democracy. Strong democracies are very good. And they're right. Strong democracies very rarely war on each other. That's true. But, but we don't understand. Imperial Japan was a democracy. Weimar Germany was a democracy. I don't know a that. Demo- yes, most people don't know that. Hitler didn't take over the government. He was voted in and selected by the chancellor. Everything that was legal. The, the Japanese uh, imperial um, 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 government was a legal democracy. These are weak democracies. Turkey today is a democracy. It's a weak democracy. Weak democracies are the problem. If you want to have a quick, fast way to weak democracy, destroy your middle class. Fastest yeah. way to get there. So you're totally right. We will become that weak democracy. Let's not forget something. Internally, when there's internal strife or civil wars or civil problems, fascism always wins. Mm. Can, uh, can you expand on that? I, I, I agree with you. Spain, Italy, Germany, fascism wins when it's an internal conflict. When they lose is when they go outside and fight outside, right? Germany fought outside and lost. Italy fought outside and lost. Spain didn't. That fascist state stayed until Franco died in 74. Yeah, yeah. So internally, fascists win. I don't want to have that battle because the fascists will probably win. The record stands there. The rec- they got the record. I'm they got saying. a good record. They, they have record. a good record. They have a good they got record. A good record. I don't. Yeah. Broken democracies are a real problem. Strong democracies are awesome and amazing and are the safest and most peaceful on the planet. Strong democracies are. Well, even like, even like you know, you being a New York guy, like I remember when uh, they were gonna uh, the Amazon building in in Long Island City. Yep. And then they were like, <laughs> "Who the hell is gonna fund that thing?" It's why I was against yeah. it. You got people was, that, you, who the hell is going to fund building that? Yes. That literally, if you remember what de Blasio, the mayor, actually said, people asked him, how are you going to do that? He goes, oh, well, we'll just raise tax on the small businesses around it to pay for it. 
So you're literally bringing in something that's going to destroy oh, your business and make them pay for their own destruction. Yeah, it's, it's ass backwards, my friend. It's yes, ass backwards. I, well, promise I, I hope I answered your questions at least. You did, you did. Last question. Um, and I have to ask you. So you're a liar. Okay, guys. Yes, I am a liar. I am a liar. <laughs> I, should, I should really, really go into politics, I guess, at some point. Um, this body thing with Cuomo, it's getting kind of swept under the rug. Um, I know that- This thinking, body thing, please elaborate. Um, the stashing of dead bodies that have happened during COVID. Uh, apparently he was on the understanding of where he had to put these bodies. These are people's family members. You as a libertarian, how would you handle the COVID crisis though? Because Cuomo has had to handle it however he has to handle it, I guess. Like you said, with an iron fist. If you were governor during this pandemic, how would you have handled it? Besides, you know, the mandates, I'm talking about getting medical supplies here. Yep, absolutely. Vacci I'm vaccines. Just, just to be clear, I'll talk. Just, I just to give the people that are listening, New Yorkers, yeah, about a different view on how it's been ran. You know, Cuomo supporters and non-Cuomo supporters. Yep, I'll be 100% clear. I put together my entire thing in video, March of 2020, for every part of how to handle it to include how to get more beds available, how to get more ventilators, how to get more masks and PPE, how to get more hand sanitizers, how to get more doctors and medical personnel in here. I cover, I'll cover in a second, but I do have that there if you care. Yes. I also have in November, my vaccine plan, how to do vaccines. I have put that out in November. So I did, let me cover both real fast. Yes. Vaccines, simplest ones, the vaccines. I said already, you want vaccines, two ways of doing it. Two things you need, one, pull the state government out completely. Federal government goes directly to pharmacies. There are over 5,000 pharmacies in New York State, over 5,000. And no one is more than an hour away from a pharmacy in New York State. No one doesn't exist. His Majesty King Andrew II, all hail the king, lied directly to us and said, well, there are, you know, there's healthcare deserts. That is a blatant lie. Healthcare deserts exist. Healthcare desert is when someone is more than an hour away from a major medical facility. That absolutely exists in New York State. It does more than an hour away from a CVS or a Rite Aid does not exist. Mm -mm. That's a fantasy, does not exist. There's 5,000 on my block. Correct, does not exist. <laughs> so you go directly to them. You just give the pharmacies it directly. They already have data on how many people come to their pharmacies, how many people are older and younger. So you get an actual better idea of who should get what. So less, less waste, the right numbers go in. And on top of it, you simply go by age. You start at 75. If you are 75 years or older, come in, show your ID, whatever that ID is, I'm over 75, get your vaccine and go. Once the vaccines, those is done, you go to 70, 65, 60, until they're all done. But Larry, don't you wanna make healthcare workers? No, I don't, they don't die from this. The people who die from this are the elderly. So give them the vaccine. What about teachers? No, they don't die from this. Might they get sick? Yes, and that's terrible, but I don't have enough vaccine. So I want to save lives more than I want to make people uncomfortable. Yeah, I saw the New York Times. They said they that New York's down to like 999 vaccines. Yes, so start at 75 and move up. Now, Larry, do you have any evidence that it worked? Yes, that's exactly the model that West Virginia used, which is what I said in November. And they are without question, do your homework if you think I'm wrong, they had the absolute best outcome. In fact, in one part of West Virginia, they actually had more than 100% because they were so efficient in what they did that there's a little extra in every vaccine and they got extra vaccines out of it. 
Oh. That's how efficient what and they use exactly my style. You pull state government out directly to the people who literally vaccinate every single month anyway. They, they have people there. You don't have to hire anybody. No, no extra taxes. No extra putting up these stupid ideas of, of vaccination sites. How stupid is that? Nothing but a colossal waste of time, money, and energy. Then no one knows how to get there. And they want you to come into their store because you go in and get a vaccine, you buy a chocolate bar, or you buy some ear swabs or whatever you like in your Dwayne Reed or whatever you do. So Make it a regular part. Piece. Make it a regular yes. part of life, yeah. So that's the vaccine piece. It should have been done that way. I said it three, four months ago. I was right then, I'm right now, and Western has proven me correct. When it came to the actual getting more stuff, here's the first thing you do. As soon as you find out that this, this has crossed a border, it's going to South Korea, I didn't know until actually late February, early March. But if I was governor, I probably learned known in January. So in January, the first thing I do is I buy, immediately rescind all this, all distilling laws. Why? Because I want you to be able to make hand sanitizer yourself. Mm. So I get rid of the distilling laws, allow individuals to make hand sanitizer. When I say if you're a nonprofit, you're a, 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 a Knights of Columbus, um, you know, a Elks Club, you're a local church, insert thing here. You want to sell it? No sales tax. Don't apply. Just sell it. Not just that. Here's how you make masks. You want to sell it? Go. No sales tax. In fact, you can sell that. Anybody can sell that. Your 99 cent store? Sell them. No sales tax. What would have happened? People would have the cool masks with the Yankees on them and stuff. That would have started happening already by February. Mm-hmm. Right? We would have begun to change the culture of our state to make that happen. It'd be fashion, sentence, whatever. How do I know? That's happening now, a year later. But it would have happened with me within the first month. So we would already start doing it. We would hand sanitize and the whole thing. Next thing I do is I get rid of any Department of Building regulations on sleeping in, pub, in, in uh, public spaces, in, in, I'm sorry, public areas, uh, common areas in nonprofits. Mm. Why? So you can set up cots in churches, in Knights, in Knights of Columbus, in American legions. Why? Because the people who are hurt by this most are the elderly. Yes. So let's say you're working and you've got grandma or grandpa at home. You don't want to come home because you might infect them. Sleep in a church. Do your work. Sleep in a church. Yep. What's the worst that happens? You get sick. You're 30 and you're healthy. You'll be fine. Your grandma's going to die. So stay in the church. Go to work. Do your stuff. Move yeah. on. You don't right? need, like, yeah. yeah. I'm still no. not done. Get rid of all the laws that New York State has. That's so stupid. If you are not registered in New York State, licensed in New York State, you can't practice medicine in our state. How stupid is that? That doesn't, doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make End any that sense. right away and say, guys, come on in. Come, my city, I have the biggest city in the country in my state. I'm going to need you. Please come on in. Come in now. We need you. And I've drawn them all in early before the problems happen. But I'm still not done. I then say, my AG, you are not to prosecute anyone who uses 3D technology to create either a test or a ventilator. You would allow them to do it, whatever they want. We would have started making them already. Again, sell them, no sales tax, don't apply, just sell. Boom, people start making them. Now, the testing we found out was crappy testing. We found out in May how bad it was. Didn't work. With mine, we would have found out if it was bad or not in February. All those lives saved. And multiple testing coming out. People would have started testing on their own. This would have happened already. You start and change this, change everything. Then I go back to my other thing I mentioned about having the rules and regulations and giving stamps for everything in schools and retail stores. Mm. You start this January, February, my only rule is you must be 100% transparent. I need to know what's happening. Give me all your data. Right. When that happens, you figure out what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong. People can copy. We would have had protocols to survive this 
uh, virus no later than April. Protocols, maybe May. We would have exact protocols to survive. We would have to close nothing. People would know what works and what doesn't. No one's going, well, masks are bullshit. Masks aren't bullshit. You would know. Did Jane drop dead when she had the mask on or off? Did Janie get sick? We'll see it right in front of our eyes. We, there's no one to tell you. I'm not telling you it works or not. You're looking at it and figuring out yourself, watching yeah. your community, and you're responding. When that yeah. happens, everyone gets it, and it changes the entire environment and culture of New York State, which would have gone to other states. Also, we would have been the absolute, we would have been the example for the entire country. But most important, I was a Marine. And when I was a Marine in, in the 80s, this was during Soviet Union time, still Soviet Union back then. We were worried about chemical attacks and biological attacks and all kind of stuff. And we were taught that when it happens and you have a contaminated environment, you don't quit. You still have to fight the war. You use the proper protocols, get decontaminated, back in the action. Proper protocols, back in action. You don't quit. This isn't the last virus we're ever going to have. There's going to be more. Is our answer every time shut our economy down? Shut everything down and put everybody in bed and wait for, and wait for a vaccine? Yeah. If that's our answer... Our enemies don't have to make nuclear weapons. That's expensive and dangerous. Make a bunch of biological weapons and we'll be destroy ourselves in six months. It's true. I mean, it's just, you know, and then I see like Eng there's a new English strain of we have we have to combat this by facing it head on. We can't Correct. just we can't yes. just hide in our houses anymore. You know, and, and I'm not and I'm not saying that to the point of, oh, be reckless. No, be, be smart. Live your life. Be smart. But the way that we've basically closed New York, it's almost like in the NBA, like the NBA is better if the Knicks are good for some reason, <laughs> yes. which is, which is very rare. Yes. This country is better when New York is, is thriving. hundred percent true. Yes. We are the largest city in the entire country by far. You know? And we took close. a, we took a major hit. Yep. And I, I just hope that the government doesn't start like taxing in Florida. It's going to be like a, a, it's going to happen, I feel like. I don't think so. I hope not because, uh, you know, I have family that works down there. But my brother worked in the food industry here. He was a captain at a restaurant. He had to go to the Miami location to get yep. work. Absolutely. Yes. And he got COVID and he's fine. Yes. Because he's a healthy young man. Correct. We should you know? realize that the people who are killed by this are the elderly and those with, you know, other issues. And if you have that, protect them. Yes. Protect I'm them. I'm diabetic and I'm asthmatic. So people have, you know, I have to go out of my way. In some so you sh we should protect you, brother. I love you. I don't want you to die. I know. You. I know. You. I'm yes. out here just, you know what I mean? Just protect me. Yes. I, can't, I can't even get a vaccine. I tried to get yeah. one. They, they wouldn't even let me get one. See that? They got to protect you. I'm with you. Protect you. Yes. That, I'm it. in. If I go down, if I go down, this whole thing goes down. It does. We're done without you, man. In New, York without New York City, you talk about dimming the lights on Broadway. They're going to turn every light off in New York That's City. That's the end. I'm That's it. That's, That's it. it. Let my 16-year-old daughter go out and play. She's going to be fine. Also, I wanted to ask you real quick, your That's children. That's question. Um, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm a big liar. I am a huge liar. <laughs> your kids, when it comes to political views, Yep. Do you push the libertarianism on them or do you let them decide for themselves? And should children, mm -hmm. at what age should children start to learn about politics, even if they can't vote and start to embrace that they make a difference in their communities and can, when it comes time to vote, where should they go? I raise my children as a libertarian parent. 
and my parenting concepts in my view, and maybe people disagree with me, and it's fine. You can raise your kids as you see fit. Mm-hmm. I think if you understand two things clearly in your heart, two things, parenting is actually easy. If you understand two things and accept it. Piece number one, your kids are not now and never will be you. Mm. If you get that in your heart, they're not going to be you no matter what you do. You can't live your life through them. They're not going to be exactly like you. They're going to like things you like. They're not you. If you get that, that's step one. Step two, you cannot protect your kids. If you accept those two things as true, because they are, parenting's easy. So what is parenting? Being a good role model. That's what parenting is. If I wanted, the best thing I can do for my daughters is have a good relationship with their mother. That's the best thing I can do with them. Everything else I do is, is good too. But the number one thing I can do, have a good relationship with their mother. I hope it's romantic. I've been married 20 years. I hope it's romantic and it stays forever. But if we get divorced, it does happen. I should still be nice to their mother. Yes. I should have a good relationship with their mother. I hope it's in marriage and romantic. That's always the best. That's and the goal. That. That's the goal. But doesn't always happen. I get that. But as a male, as their father figure, my best is have a good relationship with her. Hopefully romantic and in the same household. That's awesome. But if not, doesn't matter. We could get divorced or whatever. Good relationship with, with them. That's the best thing I can do. Because it's very, so, it's very tough. Like it's, it like, is tough. No because question. Because parents, a lot of the time, it's like, you know, they, I, bad, they bad mouth each other in front of kids. So kids hear enough, they're going to start thinking about their dad or their mom. Absolutely. And that's and, and family court in New York State is a disaster. It's one of the things I took up. It's a horrible situation. It's an embarrassment that we have. But let me finish my point if I come. Yes, so I yes, apologize. Yes. No, no, no. Um, so I raised them as a libertarian parent, which means I don't order them to do anything. I tell them what I think is right. I give them options. I allow them to fail. And what tends to happen is my daughter tends to do a good thing. And the, the story I tell often is, my oldest daughter didn't want to do a homework. She's fighting with her mom about doing homework. And her mom's upset and forcing her to do it. I said, what are you doing? Stop. She goes, I said, I'll handle it. She goes, okay, you handle it. She gets away and walks away. <laughs> my daughter says, I said to my daughter, what do you want to do? She goes, watch TV. I said, watch TV. Go. She goes, watch TV. An hour later, she's kind of buzzing around me. Daddy, are, we, are you going to make me do homework? I said, do you want to do homework? No, don't do homework. I want to read. Go read. Okay. She goes to bed. Wake up the next morning. She's waiting for me to help her and force her to do homework. I'm like, I'm not forcing you to homework. Don't do it. It's fine. Go to school. No homework. My wife is jumping out of her skin. Oh, I'm sure. Jumping at what? I said, let her go. She go up no homework. So she went up. She went to school with no homework. Right? I dropped her off. And I was there when she came back. She comes back and she's mad. She's mad. Mm. And I'm like, why are you so mad? I get in trouble. You got in trouble for what? Not doing your homework? Yeah. I said, okay. You want to do your homework? Yeah. She does homework now. Mm. I let her fail. She did her homework because she wants to do it. My youngest one, I said, I thought I uh, wanted to study for a test. Okay. Again, my wife is fighting her. Why won't you study for the test? And I said, I got this. I got it. Don't worry about it. And I said, you, come on. You're going to study for a test? She goes, Daddy, you said you don't care if I pass or not. I said, I don't. It's your life. She's like nine when I tell her this. I said, your life? You, you, you told me you wanted to be somebody and, and get good grades. You told me that. Well, I do. I said, well, then study for the test. If you don't want to, fail. I said, when you're 18, I'm throwing you out. You're going to be in the street. You happy to be in the street? Be in the street. I don't care. It's your life. I literally told my nine-year-old that. She went, I want to study. Let's go study then. Let's do it. That's it. And, and you might think I'm crazy. And people might think I'm crazy. It doesn't matter. I, I want my daughters to study because they want to study. Yeah. That's why I said I wanted to please my father. And I was an amazing student because I want nobody forced my, my parents didn't force me to at all. I wanted to. And when I went to college, I was a bad high school student. 
But I went to college. I was a full-time Marine and a full-time student, and I had a 3.8 GPA. Crushed it. Why? Because I wanted it. I want my daughters to do what they want to do because they want to, not because I force them. If I try to force them, they will rebel. My daughters rarely rebel against me. Why? I don't tell them to do anything. Mm. There's nothing to rebel against. They want to fail, they fail. That's on them. Yes, it's on them. Also, there's a, there's a, I think that kids need to learn how to fail younger. Yes. Because a lot of people are afraid to fail. That's why they don't pursue school. That's why they don't don't pursue partners or relationships. They don't pursue jobs because they don't want to be told no and feel like a sense of a failure. Let them learn how to fail when they're young. 100%. I'm a big, big fan of that. Let them fall on their face. So my oldest daughter is by default libertarian because she's been raised by one. Mm-hmm. And she actually followed me on my campaign. So she is by default one because I brought her along. Yeah. I take my daughter out of school always to give her experiences. When I was, uh, I was consulting uh, once when I was doing a trade show for a guy for a couple of weeks, I took her out of school and took her to a trade show with me. And I just yeah. did it. I take her to experience things like, and that kind of stuff. I, mean, I, could, I could tell you, like, yeah, I, I mean, I could go on for hours and tell you how shitty the American school curriculum is. Yes, it's garbage. But, you know, it's, uh, you got kids knowing a uh, long, long division these kids can't even write a goddamn check yep absolutely you know yes. what we need to teach kids how to fail earlier yep. and how to actually survive in the world be nice instead of you know, you know why we can't the government you got it it is federal testing federal testing is how most schools get their money yep. it's now how most states grade schools get their money and those tests standardized testing are only english and math that's all they are nothing else so that's why there's no econ. That's why there's no civics. That's why there's no shop. That's why there's no home economics because that's not on the test how to get your money. You end federal testing, you'll watch all that go back into school curriculum. And, you know, also teach kids how to file taxes, how to do That's not on the test. I still have to ask my dad how to fill out a W-9 sometimes. That's not on I'm the 32. test. It's not, put it on the test. Yeah. It's not on the test. Fill uh, this out. Yep. Learn how to pay your taxes quarterly. Learn, learn yep. how to, you want to be an entrepreneur? Learn how to pay quarterly taxes. Yep. So you don't get destroyed at the end of the year. Like learn me. the difference between an LLC and an S-Corp. Yes. yes. Learn them. 100%. What, I'm with you. What, what does limited liability mean? Bingo. Be nice. It'd be nice. It'd be yes. nice. I hope one day we could change all these things. Uh, go ahead. Let them know uh, about the sharp way as well. So if they want to check please, you out, guys, if you want to check me out, please check out the sharp way on all the interwebs things. I'm in all of them, <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, check out the sharp way. If you want to see what I'm doing, just Google Larry sharp. It's sharp with an E and the E stands for entertaining. Yes. That's what that stands for. So check me out, please. I'm on, I do live shows almost every day, 7 PM Monday through Friday and a bunch of other stuff throughout the week. And what's the best way for them to reach you? Twitter or Facebook, my um, Sharpway Facebook page, my team monitors all of that. It will get to me. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, can we, I mean, not yet, but you're going to run, right? I will announce in September. I'm sorry. I tried, guys. I tried. I tried. I tried. All right. Well, I mean, that was one of the most fun conversations I've ever had. I could have talked for for four more hours. But um, listen, uh, Mr. Sharp, because I have to call you that. My parents would kill me if I didn't. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's, been very, it's been very enlightening to me. And mm-hmm. I can't wait for the audience to hear about it. Going to look into your stuff. You got a fan now. I'm a fan I love of you. It. 
I'm a fan of you now. I love it. We are now right? co-fans. I love and it. And that's Perfect. it. Thank, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to me too. I really Have appreciate it. Have a good one. It. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Take it easy, Larry. All right, bye.